Val Kilmer is Jim Morrison, Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt are the Mexican, and Johnny Depp is in an Oscar-winning movie? Yes, this week on 30 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back every single week, 30, 20, and 10 years back in time, looking at all the movies, TV, music, even video games, and so occasionally much more. Uh, hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I am the Lizard Queen! <laughs> it's me, Sarah. And this is a very, very exciting week for me. Um, uh, a surprise revisiting for me. I'm, I'm like, oh, that's way better than I remembered. Some of the best TV in one of the decades here that I can think of. Forgotten shows. It's really good programming all around. Worth talking about. But again, 30-2010, we're going to open up three portals from the week of February 26th through March 4th into 1991-2001 and uh, 2011. This will probably help you place where you were in time, who you were dating, when you were bar mitzvahed, who broke your hearts, who was at war. It's very interesting to see all these dates lined up in a single week because the further back we go, the more it feels like, I thought that happened over an entire year. Nope, one week. Oh, yes. I remember week. when Saddam Hussein broke my heart the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough, man. Okay. Yeah, I really, I had I had bet a lot of money that he had those weapons. Oh, wait, that was the second time. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good way to kick off the episode. I got to tell you off the bat, though, this episode is executive produced by Connor Ritter and many other fine people at Patreon. Dot com slash laser time. So very many great extras coming at you this week. We are pretty much caught up with the uh, 30 2010 games with the Video Game Apocalypse boys. Walk you through all the games that came out during this period in depth. We were uh, either uh, working in the industry or working on the periphery of the industry during a lot of these. So we have a lot of interesting stories you might not have heard before involving these games. Occasionally knowing the people who made them. Um, and we go in-depth about that on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Uh, again, upcoming LazerTime episode about erotic thrillers. Might be the best bonus time I've ever recorded with one Dan Amrick who is in one of the movies. So that is, the, that is as teasery as I'll get, hopefully. It's a very fun episode. Stay tuned. Tell a friend about one of the shows. And I'm done plugging! It's 1991. To bring you into the world of 1991, especially with these movies, this is more the stuff everyone was talking about. It's just... I'm, I'm, I was a little kid here, and I was way more media-focused, but the, you could not get away from the news this week at all, no matter what your age was. Oh, it, this is a huge news week. Yeah. Just bigger, dear like, God. This is like 1991's 9-11 this week. It is fucking crazy. Coalition yeah. planes bomb Iraqi forces retreating from Kuwait during the Gulf War, killing hundreds and creating the so-called Highway of Death, a ceasefire is declared two days later. Bush gave Saddam 24 hours to get everyone out of Kuwait, and Saddam said no. And then we started a ground war. We had these big old tank battles and coalition forces, you know, the Brits, the Syrians, the Jordanians, the French, everyone's coming in, and uh, they make a run for it. Uh, The Iraqis make a run out of Kuwait, and the main highway there becomes what's called the Highway of Death, where our planes blow up the front of the convoy, so no one can move. And then they just start obliterating all the tanks, APCs, trucks, everything. Considering how grisly it is and how far it stretches, about 60 miles of just carnage. It's amazing not more people died. It was probably like 
700, 800, most people got out of the trucks and just made made a run for it. A bunch of them got captured. A bunch of them made it out. But the the carnage was real bad. Uh, in the aftermath, no less than General Wesley Clark said that was a war crime because they were retreating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, okay. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah. Um, it, it strongly affected a guy on an APC there named Timothy McVeigh. What he saw made him very anti-government. Ah, I love supervillain origin stories. Oh, boy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not good. But it does end the war. The war's over now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The war's we're over. We're under a ceasefire. The, and middle, the war's over. The Middle East is safe. Forever. For now. For mm. not even this week. <laughs> uh, not even a week before fighting starts up again because you got Shiites in the south of Iraq who think now's our chance and you've got the Kurds in the north who're like and now's our chance like America just kicked the shit out of these guys now is our chance and they start uprising uh which becomes the Iraqi civil war and Iraq uh crushes them horribly and it yeah. kills probably more people than the war did because they were expecting us to back them up and we didn't it's nice yep, that people because get... we said oh no the point wasn't to get rid of Saddam because we actually like Saddam being there as a counterbalance to the Iranians mm-hmm. So we're not going to get rid of Saddam. <sighs> mm. it's just, it's just, I don't know. This is just me becoming aware of the world and the news this week. And it just seems depressingly cyclical. Because the same week, this is this is when the LAPD are filmed beating Rodney King after a traffic stop? Yes. Yep. And yeah. Rodney King, who was on probation or on parole and, and had been drinking, was driving mm-hmm. with his buddies on the 210. The highway patrol tried to pull him over and he thought, this is a probation violation. I don't want to go back to jail. So he leads him on a high-speed chase mm-hmm. off the freeway and into a neighborhood. And then the LAPD is so fucking pissed that he ran that they turn him into a human pinata. Mm. Yep. They beat the living bejesus out of him. And the only thing that's special about this is that an, a neighbor pulled out his camcorder and filmed it. I, I can't tell. Because, I again, I, I don't know if police brutality has increased over the last 30 years or our ability to film it. But the ability to film it has become very easy. Flip, boom, yeah. bang, you're filming. This dude had to like load up a camera and make sure it was charged to throw in a, a VHS tape and somehow got... Like, how do you... These beatings do not occur for more than like a minute. It is a minor miracle. And I've had to tell a couple of friends who are police officers who are a little flippant towards police brutality. Like, I get you might see this and it might be part of your job, but it's not part of our lives. And it's pretty disgusting when we have to see it. And this is the first time I think most of America got to see police brutality. I'd never heard the word before Mm -hmm. ever. And and now Nickelodeon is saying it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would see things like from the civil rights era, protesters getting hoses turned on them or dogs, but this guy, no matter what it was, he did leading up to this. Yeah. He's on the ground. He's not moving. Yeah. He's he's like trying to protect himself and he's just being wailed on by multiple people with like unarmed. Mm -hmm. It was after they've tased him Mm -hmm. and tried to cuff him and then just wailed on him for a while. And And that's it. I mean, they cracked his skull. They broke a couple ribs. They broke his wrist. I think his ankle maybe or his leg. I mean, yeah, they kept going so much longer than they needed to and so much harder than they should have. Yeah. And (sighs) and, and this is a saga that will last much longer than you think Mm. something like this, longer than the Iraq war. We'll be dealing with the, the resulting fallout of the LAPD I mean, meeting up Rodney can, King. You can draw a straight line between this and OJ getting acquitted. I mean, I was just drawing it yeah. to the, I so was just, people was it or no, people versus no people versus OJ Simpson. Made in America. Uh, OJ yes. made in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They draw that line pretty clearly. Oh, I was just yeah. saying until, <laughs> what until the racial it, tension was like until the yeah. riots happened. 
Like that's Next a, year. that's an that's another year. This is talked about for a year, and it's it's it's, it's I more tell than you. that because then there's the riots and yeah. there's uh, the aftermath of the riots, and then there's mm-hmm. a federal civil trial or a federal trial, and that goes on. So yeah, I mean it's it's years before this comes to any sort of quote unquote resolution. But mm-hmm. is it is it actually resolved? No, yeah, like, it's not. Like the Iraq War, in 1991, February and March. It yeah, it's solved forever. Um, it's happened once and <laughs> never happened again. Uh, it's, it genuinely disturbs me, and especially because it's the it's the least funny thing when I rewatch In Living Color because that's like <laughs> that that <laughs> comprises like two thirds of In Living Color are Rodney King jokes. So, uh, it, mm. Rodney King is he died didn't he a few years ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 2012. Oh, goodness. Let's move on. Yeah, to... there's so many. It might be the first time where I heard the phrase, well, he's no angel. Like, who gives yeah. a shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's lying on the ground. He's not really moving anymore. And they are doing full-fledged MLB swings at him. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care what he did. Yeah. With little baseball bats. And I, I know you said it earlier. That it was, there's been depictions of police to brutality and violence. But I hadn't seen those yet. I was 10. This I saw mm-hmm. nightly. Right for months and like yep. it, it just i don't know maybe that maybe that's why our our generation was a little more apt to march yeah. recently well, because this is our introduction to that kind of shit with the rodney king beating and the images mm. that we saw previously of p- police brutality happened in the context of like civil rights protests and yeah. stuff out in the daylight out in the open this felt insidious because it felt like you were Filming something that happened probably all the time, and it was just happened to be caught on camera, yeah. which yeah. is terrifying. Which was a, which was a slow feeling when the pundits started talking about it. Every every black guy in the news is like, "It's nice you just heard of this. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> this phenomenon." Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you care now, but this has been happening for a very long time, and I just remember how closed off people were listening to even that anecdote. Oh, anyway. Um, there is fun stuff to talk about in the movie and TV portions. God, there's something oh, it makes me feel so stupid in here. Silence of the Lambs is number one at the box office. That's not one of them because that is a, as we said, a great timeless film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. reviews are in Clarice and like, wow, way to turn this into a boring procedural. Everything Silence of the Lambs is not. Then we move on to perhaps the greatest movie of the entire week. <laughs> Abraxas. I was wondering which one you liked more because we have two slices of 91 quality direct to video cheese right here. Um, uh, it, it's got to be Abraxas. Do you want the one with Jesse the Body Ventura? Or do you want the one with Mark Hamill in a small role? They pretend he's the main character. Oh, oh. <laughs> Abraxas, comma, Guardian of the Universe, starring Jesse Ventura and Sven Orthorsen. You know, Sven <laughs> or you know, all Sven was Sven in Running Man. Yeah, um, you sound like a real Sven Ulf, if yes. you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is about two time cops. Uh, yeah, they're who, space cops. Who live forever and are looking for the anti-death solution. It's something they stole from Darkseed uh, from mm-hmm. DC Comics. It's bizarre. It's in this movie. It is weird, and I have not seen all of it, but like, if you get Pluto TV, there's a Rift Track channel. Rift Tracks has done this movie. Um, it, oh, was, it was too expensive for Mystery Science Theater, but not Rift Tracks now. And you can watch this wonderful Jesse Ventura classic. You can see where he ran away to from wrestling because uh, uh, Vince McMahon would let him start a union. Also, this, the Sven Ol is my favorite Swedish gay bar. <laughs> um, and then uh, uh, well I need to watch the riff tracks of this but I've heard we hate movies and it ends up being just four guys all doing Jesse Ventura impressions yelling at each other for like two hours you're going <laughs> down no you're going down I think you're no Segundus you gotta stop shooting babies <laughs> 
Uh, and then, oh, I've never even heard of the Giver with a. Oh, really? No, well, Jack. I, I had heard of it because. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I should say, yeah. Jack Armstrong, <laughs> Jack. Mark Hamel, Mark Hamel, and uh, is that Dynamite Jimmy J. Walker? Yep, Jimmy J. J. Walker. Yeah. Wow. What a cast. Jack Armstrong, I'll point out, doesn't even have a link on Wikipedia. He's. Oh, no. <laughs> he's, he's no, I don't know if that's even his real name. I think my sister's uh, yeah, dating so, him. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So, <laughs> the Giver used to be where people would make fun of Mark Hamill because mm. it's like everyone else from Star Wars does big stuff. And Mark Hamill, he does the Giver. We should all apologize because Mark Hamill is the best mm -hmm. and he is the best Joker of all time and suck it. Mm -hmm. But the, the Giver is about like a superhero suit from outer space and this guy gets it. And there was discussion on the Laser Time Facebook group about after we talked about Drive Angry last week, about mm -hmm. good, bad movies, and uh, The Giver came up. I was oh, like, great. okay, cool. So I asked, I asked, all right, explain it, because we're talking about it next week, and I still don't have time to go watch it. And I think I watched it when I was, like, drunk, when I was, like, 20. So uh, Nicholas Gidry says, is over-the-top action, wild practical special effects, acting to the rafters, more violent <laughs> than necessary due to source material and short run time. That's what I want to hear. 88 minutes. Wow. It got one yeah, sequel, so and the like, voice gets... of uh, Solid Snake would reprise the role Mark Hamill refused to. Look at that. Yeah, so like a super suit lands on a guy, and then he does super suit stuff. Uh, breaking <laughs> into this episode from Video Game Apocalypse, it is Michael Rapares, Mr. Diana Goodman. Hi! <laughs> Hi, Michael. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in the other room seething while, while I heard her talking about the guy. It's like, I can't believe... This was on your list. You didn't say anything to me. We didn't watch it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is, and by the Don't way, if you haven't been listening for six years, this is rare that Michael gives enough of a shit about a movie to break into 30, 20, 10. <laughs> it is <laughs> very rare. The guy um, oh, th this was one I, I distinctly remember. Like I was a big anime fan uh, in the early 90s, and it, this was still at the point where it was a very niche thing. Like it, you, you didn't hear much about it. And I had read about The Giver in like magazines before. I'd never seen it. And then I found out about the movie just like it showed up on pay-per-view listings, mm -hmm. I think. And I was I was super excited and like looking into it. It's like, it's live action? It's American? They remade an anime? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, I watch it. And it, it's a pretty fun flick. It's Is it you know, it's, it's originally an anime? Yes, it was originally. Oh, okay. Well, it was originally a manga, manga and then an anime, I think. And uh, but the the. Live action version is about this uh, teenager who, yeah, he he finds like a either like a biomechanical. Uh, it either came from space or it was grown in a lab. I forget, but it's this invincible super armor, and uh, he's immediately has to fight all these these mutants. And I think uh, Jimmy J J Walker is one of them. What? Uh, he's he's like turns into this weird fish monster. <laughs> And uh, Mark Hamill is a cop, and I forget what he does for most of the movie, but I do remember he he dies. He gets mutated into some sort of caterpillar scorpion thing <laughs> and then just expires. <laughs> uh, wow, what power this suit has. I, I thought it yeah. was just Star Kid, but this sounds amazing. Yeah, and and one of the things that I guess is from the anime is that like he dies and become like the main character just like gets completely obliterated and but there's like a core of the um the suit left and the scientists are just studying it the the bad guys they have it and then like 
he grows a new body out of the core and like <laughs> continues to survive. It's it's nuts and it's super gross and I loved it. And then I watched the anime and thought it was like, you know, this is okay. It's kind of tame by comparison, but there is a lot of just like okay. gruesome dismemberment like right in the opening credits. That is something you never hear. The yeah. anime was tame compared to the yeah, American version. The live action American version is better, superior what? to the anime. No, oh, in 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 I haven't seen it since the early '90s, but that was my that maybe maybe it's one of those things where like whatever you form your first impression of is the thing that you like better. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, that was the case for me back then. Thank yeah, you, Mike. That's right. that's been me sharing my impressions of the Giver. You're welcome. And well, thank you. Thank we had to have you. someone that saw it because I, it, as much as it, it got a bunch of endorsements as being a good bad movie, just didn't have time. Sorry, a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of right. video games, video game apocalypse this weekend. We talking about revenge plots? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do that. And uh, some Persona 5 Strikers and some other stuff. So All right, be people. a fun time. Friday. Hey. Friday, All wherever right. you get your Bye, podcast. Everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs> Anywho. And then uh, next, my heroes have always been Cowboys with Scott Glenn, Kate Capshaw, Ben Johnson, Tess Harper, and Gary Busey. No, that seems interesting. And, um, uh, Scott Scott Glenn, who you guys don't know, uh-huh. is astronaut. A, is oh. is a quiz stumper. Yeah, it is an old cowboy, and like to save his ranch and his elderly dad, he's gonna enter a bull riding competition. Yeah, and everyone said it's fine if you like spending time on a ranch in a movie. Sure, what? okay. Sorry, I'm just seeing that. Uh, second to lastly, have <laughs> True Colors, uh, no, not the song, Mandy Patinkin, Richard Widmark, James Spader, and John Cusack. True Colors. You're wrong. Each made a choice. I resolved to be elected to Congress within 10 years. You've got some way to cure this country's ills nobody's thought of? One is looking for power. I feel my time is now. I wanted you to be in a position to do us a favor. Now you are. I've been with Diana. I'm going to ask her to marry me. So that's your own relationship with Styles. You're marrying his daughter. Going out and introduce you, and then our deal is done. The moves on this kid. It's no move, it's a crime. The other is looking for justice. Did you blackmail the senator? Tim, I played hardball, yeah, but I never threatened to use it. Come on. He's tied into racketeering. (laughs) Anybody watch this? This sounds like like it's filled with intrigue. Man, I'm sad I actually missed this this week because... um... I do love me some Mandy Patinks. You know? Yeah, so it's a political thriller about two best friends who work their way up in politics. And they oh, they started so young and idealistic, but one is so driven by ambition that he becomes all corrupt and mean and up to no good. And it stars John Cusack and James Spader in the opposite roles that you're expecting. That's, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so, like, that's kind of the only thing going on here is that we've got this sort of throw about like a rich guy and a poor guy and they're working so hard and they're trying to make it. And the one who ends up a dick is not James Spader. Wow. Yay. Quite the turn of events. <laughs> Good Color for him. Color be shocked. Uh, uh, sadly, we did not see this. God damn it. I tried to watch this and couldn't do it. I tried to. And, uh, I tried to. It's <sighs> too long. Yeah. And this movie cost me. And I'll explain what, what I mean in a minute. <laughs> Kevin Dillon, Frank Whaley, Kathleen Quinlan, um, Kyle McLaughlin, Meg Ryan, and Val Kilmer as Jim Mawison in The Doors. Destroys a night, night device. Sides are being chosen. The planet is screaming for change. Morrison, we gotta make the myths. Oh! You need to say the first shaman invented sex. The other side. Break on through to the other side. They call him the one who makes you crazy. 
I'm the Lizard King! I can do anything! <laughs> you I mean, guys should know exactly what this is. Is there a better... Is. Val Kilmer is the perfect role for this because he I is am. also... A himbo who takes himself too seriously. Yes, the perfect Just guy like to, Jim Morrison. To disappear into a role and be an asshole for a reason, Val Kilmer. Two perfect. himbos. Perfect. Mm. Two of our great himbos of history. Yeah. It's uh, so weird that this is this is Oliver Stone following up Born on the 4th of July. Right. The man, man has been on a roll. Platoon, Wall Street, Born on the 4th of July. Salvador. And it's like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to keep going with the mid-60s, late-60s thing. Yeah. But do it this way like a, a biopic of someone who seems interesting but actually isn't which is kind <laughs> of the secret of this movie <laughs> it's so long and I, I actually rented this movie i was like i'm gonna do it i do not like the doors one mm-hmm. not one bit but i was like i gotta do this and i got I think maybe 15 minutes in the point where he like he like climbs through a window and then meg ryan's like how why, how did you get in here? And he's like, I'm too cool for doors. And I'm like, oh, I want to die. <laughs> <sighs> uh, I've seen yeah. all I need to see here. Uh, so I'm still mad at this movie 30 years later because I went to see it with a friend, but it was rated R and we were underage. So we told our parents we were going to go see something else. And then we snuck into this. Mom, I'm going to go I see a Braxis Guardian of the Universe. And- <laughs> I miscalculated because it's so fucking long. Whoa. And so like the movie theater we were supposed to be at was closed by the time we got out of it. And my parents were had been waiting and they were really, really mad. And I got grounded. You are well, My dad asked me the most important question, which is, was it worth it? And I said, no. 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 <laughs> Was it worth spending $25, $2,005 for the double-disc special edition Oliver Stone enhanced DVD that I bought of this? No. No, it was. Why I, would you do that? It was early on in, the, in like the like, holy shit, they really put a lot of stuff into this. A lot of new documentaries and interviews and like, those were exciting days a long time ago. We didn't have another movie to go watch. We only had ways to but rewatch movies. No matter how much extra stuff they put in it, it was still always going to be about the doors. I had never seen it. <laughs> I had never seen it. And I got to tell you, like, one, I do believe this kicked off a little bit of resurgence for them. Because by the time I got into high school and, like, people were smoking mm-hmm. weed, like, door stuff was pretty ubiquitous as any new band. Like, people were well, into it. The, the I'm sure the poster... Of the like, well, ask Sam about the high school we went to where we called all our teachers by our first name, their first names, and smoked weed every day. But also, I was having a conversation with, (laughs) with, I think, my girl of like uh, stupid titles for music biopics, like the story of Queen is Bohemian Rhapsody, and um, what was the other one we were thinking of? Uh, NWA is straight out of Compton because that's typically how they name themselves. I was like, oh, uh, the Doors. Oh, it's a band too? Like, because. I grew up in the marketing of the Doors movie, and I just, they use the same logo, the same name, and I I just thought it was this multimedia event having zero context and unable to see it. I thought thought the Doors was a (laughs) cross-media promotional thing. I had no idea. You thought they were a fake band created for a movie? Yes, yeah, yeah, sort of. I just thought they... God. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's I, I that might be why I've never truly got into them. It just it just seemed like this weird. No, I mean the monkeys are pretty cool too, but like this looks kind of this looks pretty dumb. You know, I, <laughs> uh, yeah. The monkeys are way cooler than the door. And I want to oh. say that's why they don't name oh. movies that anymore. Ow! <laughs> Ow! Ow! 
So, oh, Lucky's didn't have lengthy keyboard solos. Wait. Oh, it got me on that one. <laughs> no, the monkey, the monkeys secretly were cool, mm-hmm. and later on we appreciated it. And the doors seemed cool at the time, and then later on you're like, oh, they're so up their own butts. They're not that good. Like they're a lot of fun. Like I like the doors. I'm probably the closest to a doors fan out of all of us. Mm-hmm. And that means there's one album, and I like that one. I don't care for the rest. <laughs> Very corny. Yeah, they're try hard, but they're also kind of like they're the first. So of course they're gonna be corny i don't know first, first what? what i mean they're one of the first like psychedelic bands man you know like jefferson airplane or even early grateful dead or something i don't know they're kind of their own thing but yeah like they're passable musicians and uh you know they have a charismatic front man who's not that great but he's got charisma yeah. i mean that's the thing is that Jim Morrison, I just like so many people I knew in college, even when I was in college, like in the early aughts, so many people had that, you know, that poster with him with his arms Which out, one? You know? There's the Jesus Christ pose one and the one, yes. his mugshot photo was when he was arrested in, in my hometown and where you were in college. That's taken yes. in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And so that's why yeah, well. you might see it sold around here more because it's shot in Tallahassee, his, his mugshot Yay. picture. He's going to show you what the concert's all about. <laughs> His dick. We got to track down someone in town to find out. Because I bet you anything he was a bad lay. Oh, yeah. He just has that look about him. I mean, I ask Janice Joplin mom. confirmed that, actually. Janice Joplin oh. said he was, he was a bad lay. And he was a pussy because he would only drink beer first thing in the morning instead of going straight to bourbon. A, well, there you yeah. go. That explains that explains yeah. a lot. And And... Yeah. and Janice well, was hardcore. I don't. I don't have a great criticism of him. Other, than I love the kids in the hall sketch. Now you're a Doors fan, man. Uh, and what's Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Almost? Lester Bang says about him in Almost Famous. He's a drunk posing as a poet. Give uh-huh. me the guess who who have the courage to be drunks. But okay. Anyway, getting back to the movie. Yes. It's overlong. It takes itself really seriously. Wait a minute. Like, you're this telling is me all super important, guys. You're telling me that Oliver Stone oh, made a movie <laughs> where he takes everything's taken way too seriously than it actually is. No, I'll never believe that. I know, right? It's wild. Right. It's you're... oh my god. It's pretty. I mean, sometimes it's like funny how over the top it is. I just can't stop thinking of the Ben Stiller show sketch about it. So oh. I'm just stuck there of like, I am an Indian, but I also represent death. <laughs> yeah, there's because they go out in the desert and trip, and sometimes he sees a Native American guy, and it's like, uh, why? What are you doing here? The 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 Wayne's World two joke will not make sense without having seen this movie. <laughs> ah, okay. That's one of the one of the biggest reasons to have seen this. Oh, right. the doors. Yeah, why is it called the doors when it's really just about one out of four of them? It's odd. It's I, not I, a Robbie Krieger movie. That's not fair. It could can... be called the Boars. <laughs> Ooh. Damn. I don't have a strong opinion on the Doors. I just don't. And but break on through. Why isn't it called Break on Through? That's a better title. That's Damn. probably a much better title. Break on through. Why is it called coil. Light My Fire? There you go. Another better title. And then the, yep. I'm assuming there's other Doors songs. Yeah, the Crystal <laughs> Ship. <laughs> I like it too. I all of these titles, though, I'm thinking of like the variety, like pun joke for how bad it is. Yeah. Like, more like yeah. crystal shit. <laughs> <laughs> or light my fire, light this film canister on fire. No. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing but, here. Uh, Audience is it... extinguished, light my fire. <laughs> 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 yeah, but uh, critics slam the doors. Uh, like, 
Nice. There's no good way to do this. Um, that was perfect. <laughs> and I don't, I don't remember critics being especially kind to the Doors, and it doesn't hold up very well, and it's not shown very frequently. But it's, I think, the Doors has a lot of fans as a band, and therefore the movie gets. But the actual The Doors band does not like this movie. Yeah. At all, but also oh. they have a legacy to protect. <laughs> they ha- they are still touring and have never stopped touring the doors with different lead singers. Um, yep. Yeah. Is Jim Morrison part of the Twenty Seven Club? Yes. Yep. Was he the first Twenty Seven? Because what year did he die? No, it was Hendrix, then Joplin, then Morrison. Okay. Mm. Yep. Sad time. Sad times. And but this is also like um this is. Peak boomer adulthood. You'll see a lot of Oliver Stone entertainment in particular marketed at them and, you know, whatever. Um, Our generation had a chance to make movies and ejaculates all over the 80s. So who do you you want to judge? Uh, So (laughs) we're still still living. We're still soaking in it. Uh, See you at Ghostbusters next year. Uh, Moving on to television. There's a lot of great TV in the next segment. Weirdly, this is the the most notable debut this week. It's a story. Toxic Crusaders, Toxic Crusaders. I love story songs, story intro songs, Gilligan's Island, Mystery yeah. Science Theater, and Toxic Crusaders. What? <laughs> Toxic Crusaders. Is this based on Toxic Avenger? It is. And it is. What? I wanted to look into it because, like, is this the most successful trauma thing ever because like there's still merch out there for not necessarily toxic avengers this is toxic crusaders the saturday morning cartoon show based on the movie toxic avengers it is in the very rare category of a children's cartoon based on a movie they should never fucking see and (laughs) we have a rambo cartoon we have a robocop cartoon but toxic crusaders like yeah this is the movie you should show kids last and they bring the characters over the the Lovable trauma characters, Toxie, and give them some new friends. And like, but this stuck around a while. This got, I think, two at least two seasons, but was syndicated for a while. And the merchandise I still see out there. There's a lot of people who don't know that it's based on a movie series at all because the Saturday Morning Mill was better at hyping this than Lloyd Kaufman could ever afford to do with trauma movies. <laughs> So it, I think it's it's truly bizarre, and he, he has to have made a ton of money off of this. Toxic, a Toxic Adventure it, one and two are fucking great movies. I have not seen three in a long time. Do yourself a favor. That's my recommend. Instead of watching a season of this cartoon, so watch Toxic Avengers one and two. Bring the kids in; they'll love it. A grandmother gets run over and shits herself to death. It's hilarious. It's uh, it, it's truly hilarious. Was, was there a different cartoon based on the Toxic Avenger? Also, no. It's pretty much just mm. this one, but I, they changed the title ever so slightly. I would guess so kids cannot find the source material. Because <laughs> seeing Rambo is one yeah. thing. Like, uh, wow, that was truly a story of trauma. And uh, but but seeing Toxic <laughs> Avenger, like, no, that's for teenagers and adults. You shouldn't. You really shouldn't be watching that. Yeah. Uh, nope. Yeah, but it debuts this week. I think there are are like eleven. According to my last research, eleven children's cartoons based on hard R movies in existence 
all during the 80s and early 90s. I wouldn't, it would, will not happen again. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, there are, I could not find any other video games this week. But I will dig a little more in depth to like arcades and certain lesser lesser consoles or Japanese releases on the Patreon show, patreon.com slash laser time. But we'll uh, close out the 1991 segment talking about the music as if there's anything else but the doors, man. That's all I need to listen to. God, Jim, miss you. All right, I'm punishing you, and I'm making the doors like every intro and outro. <laughs> no. Oh. We're going to play the end in its entirety. It's 11 minutes Oh, long. that's what they could have <laughs> called the movie. That would have been a great title. Oh, but 1991, all the, all the Man That I Need by Whitney Houston is still number one. because She does that. She sticks around a while. Uh, new releases include 1916 by Motorhead, Hooked by, the, by Crate White, The White Room by KLF and EX colon el by 808 state first time encountering those words you can tell uh, let's close out of 1991 with uh, 3m eternal by the klf uh when we get back oh i get to talk about some of my favorite episodes of television of 2001 stay right there Do you like Video Game Apocalypse in 302010? Well, the LaserTime Patreon has figured out a way to combine the two. Over at patreon.com slash lasertime, we've taken a month's worth of 302010's games from 3020 and 10 years ago and grabbed the hosts, Michael Raparez and Matthew Allen from Video Game Apocalypse. And with our combined three decades plus in the games industry, we found a great way to take a deep dive into the biggest gaming anniversaries of the month. Here's a recent sample. This is the year. This is the. This is when I discover Layaway, and that would have been Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2: The Arcade Game. Such a strange phenomenon that uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 is like this. Make good. Like here's the what you wanted. Let's ignore the incredibly difficult ultra games platformer. <laughs> the side scrolling. It should be worth appreciating how hard that was to do, because I think they just yeah. assumed like there's no way we can optimize a game for arcades onto an NES. Like. Somebody in Japan said, well, you better fucking try because you have one year. <laughs> yeah, this game should not have been able to run on the NES. Like, there's no, I, I don't know how they did it. Which was weird. And, uh, but for some reason at the time, that seemed more exciting. Like, it, Pizza it was. Hut was a very dynamic brand in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, it was, um, I, I believe some YouTuber a few years ago took one of the coupons from either the game or the, the VHS and uh, Pizza Hut honored it. <laughs> Here you go. Here's a free personal pan pizza. It's only worth 11 cents. It never been worth, it's been worth more than that. Because um, uh, I did I did see someone build, literally, Michael, a custom arcade, uh, uh, arcade one-up for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to the arcade game, not the arcade game on which it's based. And the dude put... Pizza Hut coupons from the game underneath the glass of the <laughs> the deck protector. God, that is that is some Street Fighter to the game based on it's the weird. movie bullshit right there. It's weird, and it shouldn't be such a pleasant memory. But I remember my, this is where my I'm like, Mom, I want this game, and I'll do anything to have it. And so she took me to the Walmart layaway department and taught me what that was about. So I'd keep bringing money into Walmart layaway um, until I believe she caved and like he's never going to save up fifty dollars. <laughs> This is so mean to do to the little kid. 
So, in addition to weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive specials, you can get the 30 2010 Video Games Edition, celebrating a month of important gaming milestones every single month at patreon.com slash lasertime in exchange for just five bucks. And you'll support all of the Laser Time shows, including Video Game Apocalypse, right guys? Yeah! I hope you enjoyed the break or the space between 1991 <laughs> and 2001 because, uh, yeah, welcome to 10 years into the future. That's what we love about this show. We are zipping forward to February 26th, March 4th, and 2001, leaving 1991 behind. And what better way to do that with the timeless music of Dave Matthews off of the album Oof. every day. Look, hmm. we all know I'm a corny-ass cornball. Yes. <laughs> I love Dave Matthews Band. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Sure and I do. really like this song. I, I do it's not. It's very pretty. It, <laughs> I know. It's, it is the very definition of a pretty song that yeah. I probably wasn't comfortable enough in my masculinity to give a fair shake. It's I'll, too bad for you. Yeah. Well, there's still time, but I'm never going to do it. Just, <laughs> just why would I start with Dave Matthews Band for fuck's sake? I'm I mean, going back to Cindy Lauper. <laughs> you got to get a puka shell necklace. <laughs> you got to buy some shorts that are too long. I uh, love cargo <laughs> shorts, though. Keep waiting for those to come back. Oh, uh, yeah, pass. stop saying, oh, there's so much pocket space in that. I can carry uh, my yeah, phone and a charger. <laughs> now, you get those, sh- if you're a man, you get those shorts above your knee by a couple of inches, or otherwise I don't want to no! see them. No! I want to look like a homie if, figure. If you're forcing me to look at your leg as a man, I'm going to need some sigh. No. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm going to get some khaki <laughs> culottes, and you'll have to live with it. 2001, uh, Dave Matthews Band has space between out, but there's some new releases, including Believe in Nothing by Paradise Lost. Uh, Any Other City by Life Without Buildings, Teen Spirit by The A-Teens, and the self-titled debut of American Hi-Fi, Stutter by Joe featuring Mystical is still number one. And as we teased in the last segment, everything in the Middle East was fine after 1991, except that it wasn't, because the Taliban this week destroyed two giant Buddha statues in Bamyan, Afghanistan, carved in the 6th century and standing more than 100 feet tall. That is some thorough asshole behavior. (laughs) Yeah. That just bumps me the fuck out. And their reasoning was such assholery because they said they were going to do it and then everyone said, no, don't do it. And then they realized, well, I guess like maybe we could like, because it's this giant, gorgeous cave complex that, mm-hmm. you know, used to have a bunch of monasteries and like there aren't really any Buddhists in Afghanistan anymore. So no one's really worshiping them. So it's not an idolatry thing. And maybe we could get some tourism money out of this. And then, you know, they were still under sanctions, so they're not getting any tourism money. And then Mullah Omar, who was in charge, said that some group came to him and said, we want to give you money to fix your statues up. And he said, we want money for fucking food. And that just made him snap of just like, how dare you care more about statues than people? Mm. Like, wow, he almost has a point, except fuck you so hard. You know how many people tried to wreck these things before the Taliban actually finished? Genghis Khan couldn't do it. Okay. These things were serious. And they just blew them up. Yeah. They shot a bunch of anti-tank missiles at him and they blew them up. That's not what you do with something like super old. You reappropriate it. I recall this is like, more than 10 years ago, going to Stone Mountain, which began as the Mount oh, Rushmore God. of oh, Confederate Lord monuments. And they gave up. And so at, at night on Stone Mountain several years ago, what they do instead 
is broadcast a laser light show of pink music uh, from the, the musician Pink over these Confederate symbols. I'm like, uh, cool, uh, you don't have to destroy has shit. Pink, has Pink signed off on that? I have a feeling she would not be. It was a laser that. light show, so I don't know. Like, you don't. It doesn't incorporate the thing because it's really just a small postage stamp size thing in the middle of this beautiful, mm-hmm. big, giant, hundred foot, but like rock potato, smooth as smooth as silk. And mm-hmm. it's perfect for mm-hmm. projecting laser light shows, which are always super fun. Can't see it at night. Yeah, wow. yeah. They they did do a thing. It was only a couple of years ago. Some Chinese artists projected the statues back in their place mm-hmm. as they probably had been because they're mm-hmm. carved into the mountain, and then they use stucco to like do the finer details of these two Buddhas. Oh. So, and they're probably painted at one time, so they're probably really stunning. And what we had left was just sort of the raw basic materials, but still, they're. Over a hundred feet tall figures carved into a mountain in the year six hundred, yeah. and these fuckers blew them up. So, yeah. How? I mean, if if only it was they knew in two thousand one how much money they could make from influencers going and <laughs> posing in front of them for their travel Instagrams. Yeah, pretending you know? to rub the belly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You'd have to bring like a really long broom or something. <laughs> it's it's kind of you know. The, by the way, ten stories up, dude. That story was not me advocating holding up confederate monuments just looking forward to the day when you can walk by them by like like their religious iconography from the sixth century like oh that was stupid yeah. nice job Black. like like nice job on the nice job on the art um yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah just take them down i, I don't say know. Blast it. look yeah anyway you can't blast stone mountain it's a big mountain um but just blast that little face off of it yeah it's... yeah just put new faces on them so yeah. it, it's actually like all the characters from Toy Story riding horses. Okay, or now I'm in. Fucking Jimmy Carter. Hello. Oh. <laughs> that Georgia. should be right, it's in Georgia. Jimmy Carter, an American saint and a true hero. You know, you Put brought up Jimmy Carter, I think, three weeks in a row, and it's yeah. making me nervous because I mean, it's like yeah. 95. Oh, no. I think she's having an I affair. I think she's having no. an affair. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's always on my mind and in my heart. Oh, <laughs> Thank you very Georgia. much, sir. <laughs> uh, moving on to 2001 movies um, The Caveman's Valentine is a movie with Samuel L. Jackson, Colm Fjord and, and uh, Anne Magison. I remember sort of wanting to see this because it might be one of the weirder things Sam Jackson has ever been involved in he's a guy yeah. I, I don't know if I think his agent isn't capable of saying no to things um, yeah, do do a Capital One commercial, ruin your credits. Uh, but uh, but, <laughs> no, but I I think he signed up for this because it's directed by Cassie Lemons, who did Eve's Bayou, which he's fantastic in, and that movie oh, okay. is freaking great. And uh, I mean, it's based on a book, but it's it's a very strange concept because mm-hmm. he plays a homeless man that lives in a cave, mm-hmm. and he has mental illness, but he also thinks there's been a murder, and he's trying to solve it. Hmm. Uh, all the reviews were sort of like, well, they're trying really hard and the performances are good, but eh. which means, okay, if that just means go watch Eve's Bayou, then I'm all for it. That movie's freaking amazing. I just, I, Sam Jackson doesn't have a ton of movies where he's the balls out fucking lead. He, he, he's always has a partner or he's, he's always like fifth build. He's in a ton of stuff and everyone knows his name, but like you name is like other than Shaft. I don't know of any Sam Jackson starring movies that I love to death. Uh, other than, uh, well, Hateful Eight, but I guess that's sort of a spoiler that he becomes the star of that film. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's a good point. Usually mm-hmm. it's paired with somebody. Yep, always, always. Yeah. Usually someone white. Um, yep. <laughs> I wonder if they'll get along. 
bet, I bet Sam Jackson. Oh, I can't wait to see Sam Jackson yelling him. Ah, suck it, Tim <laughs> Roth. <laughs> and then, oh, movie I did not see. <sighs> Leslie Bibb, Mar- Michael Clark Duncan, and David Arquette, Sea Spot Run. His name is Spot. The top canine agent in America. You want we should get the dog? He's one smart puppy. <laughs> His name is Gordon. Get us. He's one dumb mailman. That's Satan's dog. <laughs> and now... I'm not picking that up. It's doo-doo. What's that smell? Or die. C-Spot Run. C-Spot Run. Uh, David Arquette. Lots of great movies in his past. Buy it now in a Warner Brothers snap case. I did not see this movie. I refuse. It's meant yeah. I, I, if Again, I watched a fairly great documentary, You Can't Kill David Arquette, about him trying to untarnish his wrestling career by traveling down to Mexico and, play, and playing the indies like two years ago and getting his throat cut open by a light fixture. It is a wonderful documentary that is <laughs> reflects on his entire movie career, and C-Spot Run is brought up way more than once. So wow. watch that instead. Huh. Yeah. It's a cool doc I, on Hulu. <laughs> it's like, I, I had trouble figuring out if C-Spot Run is for children yeah. or for stoners, mm-hmm. because like all the ads and the descriptions is all about you know this wacky dog, and he does wacky things, and like the mob is trying to kill him because he's actually a fed. But... Like a a running gag is that Spot bit off mobster Paul Sorvino's nuts. Oscar winner Paul Sorvino? Uh, That's his daughter. That's his daughter who won the Oscar. Yeah. Mm. Beloved character actor Paul Sorvino. Yeah. yeah, Gets keeps getting his balls one after the other. I don't know how many he has. Probably a (laughs) lot. How many are there? (laughs) Yeah, is this like a gross out stoner comedy? Because it looks like it's for children. Huh. Uh why? Why are you doing this to us? And uh wow, in in terms of some of the one of the weirder movies to ever exist that I think I saw in the theater. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. The number one movie at the box office. Look at this cast: Gene Hackman, Bob Balaban as a gangster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. Uh, Jess Kidding Simmons, uh, James Gandolfini, Julia Roberts, and Brad Pitt in The Mexican. He has three days to find the gun. This is the Mexican. He's cursed that gun. Save his girl. Where's your car? Sam? Jerry, honey. Stay alive. Stop that! And learn Spanish. I need a lift in your El Truco to the next town-o. This time, I win. Julia Roberts. Oh, really? The Mexican. Rated R. Kind of unremarkable and, like, I, I feel like... Vegas odds. This should have been the biggest movie of the entire year. Yeah, yeah. considering yeah. back, back when Pitt were, and Julia Roberts together at last, the two right. biggest bankable movies. I remember reading an article about it. Like these people will guarantee you make money, and we just threw in as the third lead, the star of The Sopranos, and in like one of his first roles after The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. always, playing a hitman for the fifth time, if you don't count Tony Soprano. Yeah, there's this is a quieter movie than I expected, and it's mm-hmm. not. I don't remember it being very great. Did anybody else rewatch this? I didn't rewatch it, but I do remember like being really excited for this movie yeah. because, of course, Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts and thinking, like, this is going to be great. And coming out of it, so perplexed. <laughs> like, just tonally, it was all over the place and like kind of hard to follow. And the chemistry was all off between everyone. Like, it just is a really strange film. Like, yeah. when yeah. you. And so I I wanted to go back and rewatch it, but unfortunately I just couldn't get to it this week. But yeah, it's a weird one to me. Yeah, I I rewatched big chunks of it, and 
yeah, I was sort of struck by it's it's a little odd that everyone is signed on for this because it's like I feel like the script could go, use another round or two mm-hmm. go around because, you know, Brad Pitt is being forced to work for the mob and he's got to go get this fancy antique gun right. and then it keeps getting stolen from him and he keeps getting double crossed and there's wackity schmackiness. And at the same time, Jan- James Gandolfini has kidnapped Julia Roberts' girlfriend and they're sort of on their own separate adventure. And that movie is freaking great. Yeah. Gandolfini <laughs> steals everything he is near. And I looked at all the all the old reviews and everyone's like, someone give Gandolfini better movies because mm-hmm. he's stealing the cutlery. He's stealing anything that's not nailed down. Yeah, he's amazing. I love this quote from the Edmonton Journal. Moviegoers who have seen the Mexican aren't coming into the cinemas talking about the romantic chemistry between Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. They're talking about the presence of tough guy James Gandolfini in the unlikely role as a gay hitman named Leroy. And that's <laughs> and that was it, it, great. That that's the only thing I remember about the movie because it was legitimately shocking that mm, in the yeah. middle of the movie, like Julia Roberts, like you're gay. It's like, <laughs> what? Why would you even ask me that? And like, that's not a no. And why would you right. fucking like, even ask me that? It's like checking out a guy at a diner, and he's like, mm-hmm. I saw, I I saw that. The you're line is great, guy. actually. I rewatched that scene. It's like I asked if you were gonna rape me, and you said not likely. What do you mean by that? <laughs> what did you mean not likely? Do, am I awful looking? <laughs> then I thought about it. And, uh, I don't know. Like that, that That's like one yeah. of the things I remember about it. Yeah. That, that's like its most redeeming quality. And it's like mm. the rest of it's like, it's okay. Yeah. Brad Pitt mm-hmm. and Julie Roberts surprisingly do not have great chemistry together. Mm-mm. They're they're fun-ish in their own separate parts of the movie. But the Julia Roberts and Gandolfini road movie. Holy crap. Yeah. You guys yeah. need to go back to the drawing board and turn, just make that the movie. Yeah. Just make that the movie. I feel like maybe the chemistry issue with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts is that they they usually play, I feel like, opposite of the straight men. Mm -hmm. Like, they're usually kind of the wild one or, like, the funny Mm -hmm. one or whatever. And they're, like, usually paired with someone more straight-laced, maybe. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. Something's off there. I also have to say that it's just a personal pet peeve of mine. I really hate jokes, like, in the trailer where someone is, like, can't speak a language, can't speak Spanish, so they just add like yeah. an O to the end of every word. Like, I hate that just a lot. like nails on a chalkboard to <laughs> me. I hate that so, so much. Yeah, it is yeah. just not, not, not what everybody expected from a movie combining mm-hmm. the biggest male and female movie stars at the time. And then, mm-hmm. then you have something like Ocean's Eleven where they're in three times and barely have any scenes together, but you know, you'd see them together again. <laughs> Yep, so and uh, direct, directed by Gore Verbinski, yes. who we're going to talk about again 10 years from now. He was almost Ooh. a coast-to-coast 30-20-10 champion this week. Uh, two out of three yep. ain't bad. Uh, yeah, this is this is like his faltering right before he hits his stride, I feel like, because he did Mouse Hunt already a bunch of years back, and then we get the ring like next year, yeah. and it's like then it's on for that guy. I, I think he's the weirdest mainstream film director like the fucking hmm. hal ashby of like billion dollar things <laughs> what, what a what a diverse group of things he decides to do and without further ado my 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 favorite segment of this week has to be 2001 because that is where television blows the fuck up in my opinion it mm-hmm. is absolutely insane with notable releases this week and uh quite possibly the biggest is the debut of the lone gunman the x-files oh. spinoff it wasn't big at the time, but no. it became big in retrospect. No, I remember it, it became big like three months after September. No, it was like, it was a little, because this, it's a one season spinoff of the X-Files featuring the three, what would you call them? Hackers, uh, 
conspiracy yeah. theorists. Yeah, they're they're like mostly indoor people. <laughs> and so like as odd as a concept of spinning them off nerd show, I can see how it would make sense, but it only lasted mm-hmm. 13 episodes and they went back to the X-Files before they were brutally murdered. They debut in their own show and they don't they're not on the X-Files for a little while. Um, and that was kind of a bummer. The pilot's plot in particular, this is <sighs> this is March 2001. And about 30 minutes into the episode, they realize this is what's happening with these terrorists. March 2001. Liars, your flight's going to make an unscheduled stop in exactly 22 minutes. Corner of Liberty in Washington. Lower Manhattan. World Trade Center. We're going to crash the plane into the World Trade Center. I'll tell the flight crew. More than a mountain has been made out of the molehill of this episode by conspiracy theorists. If that's not the case, I have seen this in bad faith conspiracy videos. Because mm-hmm. nobody yeah. meant that if you if you want to talk, yeah, they planned to blow up the World Trade Center and fucking X-Files show. I'm like, yeah, and it was averted. It is a very awkward scene to watch play out. And nobody remembered until like 2002. That's, I saw it on a porn site. Because that was the only people, like, before YouTube, that was the only people who could, like, clip video clips and and put them up. Like, you have to see this lone gunman clip. Uh, There is a dramatic plane avoiding the World Trade Center sequence in this episode. Mm. And uh, it's it's fucking weird. They plane flown by terrorists at the World Trade Center, which I just want to say to all conspiracy theorists, like, the World Trade Center is a very obvious choice. That's why they, (laughs) that's why the X-Files writers and... Al-Qaeda landed on it. It's a very obvious choice. Yeah, because it had been attacked already. Yes, it's yeah. already been attacked. It's under. It's attacked pretty frequently at this it's point. It's been attacked already. It's really big. Mm-hmm. It's really prominent. It's, really it's kind of hard to miss. Like, if they wanted to fly something into the Statue of Liberty, that's a little bit harder to pull off. Yeah. It's a lot smaller. <laughs> Sorry, you shouldn't laugh at that. But, I mean, that is that is what this show is now most famous for, and I don't hear the lone... Whenever I we're watching an old X-Files and the lone gunman come on, I think 9-11 because of this. Because mm. of how traumatizing that whole event was. The USA weird critical darling, the La Femme Nikita TV show, the adaptation from the movie and whatever it was, Bridget Fonda's Point of No Return. Uh, yep. That's a remake mm-hmm. of the movie. The TV show was lauded. Like, I had... I, like almost all my cool punk lady friends love La Femme Nikita, and the show has its finale this week. Sadly, I don't know much more than that, but I wanted to give it a shout out. Um, yeah, I loved that movie so much. Yeah, which yeah. one? The new oh, or the yeah. old one? The old one. Yeah, the original. The French. Yeah. No, La Femme Nikita. It went like five seasons. It yeah. it did pretty well yeah. on on USA as. I don't know if it's technically an original or it might be like a Canadian import or a co-production or something. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't have a ton of original programming back then. Not like they do now with, you know, your Royal Paineses and your what have yous for uh, notice. Every dad's for, favorite show. Every dad's but, favorite show. Yeah. It was fun to have like a female led action show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, before like Alias or anything. It was cool. I caught it Ooh. sometimes. I liked it. It was yeah. kind of low budget, mid budget, but it was fun. And this is what I, I was confused about. I probably didn't do enough research into it, but it's enough to know that Teen Nick, the programming block, debuts. And I wasn't sure where, but it looks like it did ev- at least eventually make it to Nickelodeon proper because mm-hmm. now Teen Nick is a channel. This, yeah, it's a pro- its own thing. But Adult while, Swim is, a, is a not its own block. channel yet, it, but Teen Nick was so popular it, with me. Just because it was show, it, it, I don't know what it meant by Teen Nick because it's 2001 and it's basically showing 
Invader Zim and Ren and Stimpy and Clarissa and just a bunch of the classic Nick stuff that wasn't coming out on DVD in a time where DVD was reigning supreme. So, yeah, do you remember seeing this? Uh, I don't because I was a grown ass adult. No, oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm a I dick. was. Yeah, I was a little old for it too, but it also kind of in the same way that Disney launched a lot of careers of people that are now in pop culture. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few of Teen Nick stars because they had some. They had several original teen comedies and and some dramas as well. It took over the SNCC um, Saturday Night Programming Block. Yes, and at, yeah. at one point in. And again, it was, I remember getting, I was at a, staying at a friend's house with digital cable and they, Nickelodeon had a channel called Noggin where it's just like preschool entertainment. And they're just like, we give up. This sucks. Let's run all that marathons under the brand team. Nick. <laughs> um, and, and now that's what I think that's what the channel became. Their educational channel became Nickelodeon Rewind or Teen Nick. And then as a big, big giant fan of sketch comedy, I, I think the most unsung sketch comedy show debuts. It doesn't exist on any available media. It, you wouldn't know it to to hear the name of the show, but I thought it was really funny. The Andy Dick show debuts, and it is all from Andy Dick's voice. But more more than anything, was I the only one watching a ton of MTV at the time? Yeah, yeah I was watching some MTV. It is, it is largely a, a parody of all MTV's programming. Oh, and yeah. It, it, that, I kind of remember that. Yeah, that is mostly what... There's some other stuff in there. I, I love his... Who's the fucking Joker guy who would be on late night infomercials with question marks? on? You can oh, start yeah. a coffee shop. Hey! I loved his character that made fun of Matthew. Matthew Lesko. And this episode debuts like a very long, semi-scathing parody of Tom Green mm-hmm. where he plays Christina Aguilera's foul-mouthed, pants-shitting cousin, Daphne Aguilera. He plays her. <laughs> and the, the whole show opens up with all this, like with a behind-the-scenes e-true Hollywood story about Andy Dick. And I just thought it odd because, like, I thought Andy Dick was like someone only comedy nerds knew. And apparently, he wrote and directed every episode. And I just wanted to grab a clip of uh, how the first episode opened on the twenty seventh of February two thousand one. He's a provocateur. There's That's later, French, but uh, he's not French. Andy Dick, I- I'm pretty certain he crumbles all his cookies in my basket. You know what I mean? He's like a, he's like a happy little. He was the man we laughed with. And then the man we laughed at. Slapped by Moby. Things to many people, but he was always a dick. I always said that if they did one of those true Hollywood thingies about me, uh, that I would call it the little angel clown who cries. Now, the true Hollywood story of Andy Dick, the little angel clown who that cries. <laughs> I thought I thought this show was endlessly entertaining. Andy Dick can play like three different people. Yeah. And that's that's about it to his range, but he does it so confidently. I love how he sh- strides into scenes just knocking things over. It all it, mm-hmm. like this shit always made me laugh. And if if you if you were poking the holes in MTV programming like Fear or behind the music video, like he he was all over those parodies. It's it's odd to see this completely lost to time, but I think it is a very like VHS home video recordings on YouTube is the only way we have to remember this. Mm. Andy Dig is such like an un, just like such a weird guy too yeah. because like he's so funny like so many times and then sometimes it just it's like I just wish that he kind of was a little bit more together and then he would just be a huge comedy powerhouse. He'd be everywhere. Yeah. You I, know? Mhm. I just because when he's funny he is hilarious. 
a very complicated and troubled person, but but yeah. has yeah. been able to talk about it and make people laugh. And I guess, hey, uh, you know, if you're going to be someone who gropes women, also grope dudes, and then everyone's so disgusted with you, it just cancels each other out, and you get to still work. Uh, so yeah, there's some. Wasn't there some like regular like show at UCB or something where they would start every show with a show of hands? Have you ever been groped by Andy Dick? And like, <laughs> most of the time, it was pretty much everyone in the audience. Like if you were hanging around in a certain comedy like circle and, and going to shows, Andy Dick was going to touch you at some point. Yeah, mm. lots of uh, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I I share a love and a birthday with John Lovitz, and so I have to hate oh. Andy Dick forever. Okay. All right. Oh, I don't yeah. know what that means. Oh, oh you got to look was, up that feud. Uh, that is wonderful. Yep. That's that's a long running feud uh, where they came to blows at least once, which would have been the funniest fight. Oh my god! I've I've, wow. I've watched. John Lovitz basically blames Andy Dick for Phil Hartman's death. <gasps> so I I do know I do have a I think a semi thorough version of that story because John Lovitz replaced Phil Hartman on News Radio, the show that Andy Dick was on. And uh-huh. people were a little uncomfortable with it. And I think he said as a joke, like, I put the Phil Hartman hex on you. I'll I'll make sure you die, too. And, like, not only did he say that to him, he went up to John Lovitz in a restaurant who was eating with friends. And he's like, the hex! Ah! And, like, just in front of all of his friends. And then I think the next time John Lovitz saw him, it's the manliest John Lovitz story I've ever heard. He pushes him up against the bar and uppercuts him in the face, falls back, hits him again in the face. Like, whoa, you got... Holy shit, you got tooled by John Lovitz? That's amazing. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I had no idea about any of that. Yeah, John That's Lovitz lo- like reveres, I think Phil Hartman was his teacher in the Groundlings. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. and Oof. and Andy Dick allegedly gave Bryn Hartman, his wife, the cocaine that got her back on the cycle that ended in her shooting her husband in the stomach. So uh <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. Um, I'm laughing to the tears. Yeah, I'm sorry, Andy Dick, talented guy, needs to Pull the shit together. Yeah, I, I got, I got my side of that Hatfields and McCoys. Sorry. I mean, okay, I, okay. Everyone I know I no who idea. had those kind of problems is dead well before Andy Dick. So like, I have <laughs> to imagine he's point. doing better. He has that to be doing better because he's alive. Jesus. Speaking of tears and alive, uh, I'm just gonna play this and see if anybody, any listeners out there, can get it immediately because this, this, this hurts. It's, uh, it's painful to talk about now. Now that the writer director of this episode is not being brought up in any kind regards but i would have called this one of my favorite episodes of television ever because it is out of nowhere it just starts off way jokey and i did not see it coming and i was floored hey flower getting lady want me to pick don up from school mom what are you doing Mom? Mom? Mommy? I can't. I can't watch it. Yeah, all I had to hear was, oh, it's going to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it's one of the most amazing moments ever. And I'm like, I've seen this, even though I've never watched the show. You've seen this Mm -hmm. episode? I've, I've seen this clip and just been like, or just how everything's like, blah, 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 normal, blah, blah, blah. It is. Mom? And it's like, oh, shit. It's diff- <clears throat> it's difficult to wrap your head around. And it, it makes more sense as a special episode in the middle <laughs> that's dropped in the middle of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. A fantastically hilarious show about quipping kids beating up vampires and werewolves. Mm-hmm. Every week they beat up vampires and werewolves. They save the mother several times. She, I think she survives cancer. 
And then we see in the episode The Body that airs this week, Buffy, like you literally, like a Jason movie, you see what happened on last week's episode. She walks in her door, makes a quip at her mother, and just calls her name, and you just see her still, her still body on the couch. And it's heartbreaking to watch, just because if you've ever mm-hmm. lost anybody, there nobody quips in this episode. There is no soundtrack. It is mm-hmm. the quiet nervousness of dealing with death and if that's ever happened to you like they even heighten noises of like the cars and the neighbors of like i everyone i've ever talked to has had that experience when someone you know dies you become infuriated by the normalcy everyone else is going through because they don't care at all and the world keeps moving and and that's it's done with foley effects in this episode to like make it more dramatic it's unlike any other episode of buffy which is not immune to theme episodes and Mm -hmm. but this is a really harsh theme episode and for me i was watching it all in a binge and it like came out of nowhere and i like yeah dude it's like the most emotional i've ever been at an episode of television and i've only been able to like get through it two other times in the last 10 years but um i i know it's it's hard to recommend joss whedon stuff with all the things we're sort of reading about him by that i mean just i'm still very unclear but other than charisma carpenter but the body is a fantastic episode of television and and completely out there in context of an equally great series. I don't want to, I don't, I I just hope we don't forget how cool Buffy is um, in the midst of stuff. I'm not alone. I'd like, did you see Buffy Sarah? Yeah, I watched it several years ago. I, I definitely want to go back and revisit Buffy because it is a right up my alley. You know, I'm into that vampire shit. The big episodes really do, do stand out to me. Um, at like, especially this one is like very, very difficult to watch. I, I can't call it my um, favorite. It is, it to me is the most no. notable episode of the series. It's very harsh. And I, I don't remember when I watched it, but it may have been around losing somebody and it really hurt. It really mm-hmm. hurts to watch. And mm-hmm. in, in a well-written way, that's, that's, I would recommend to people who are curious about the, the, the little things outside of the main premise that make Buffy special. Cause there are no fantastical things in this episode and the mm-hmm. people do not say funny things. People, you get to see Willow stress about what clothes to put on to go into her friend's house. Whose mother has just died of, of a brain aneurysm to trying to figure out like, did somebody, is there a, is there a bad behind this? It's just, it's so weird. It's one yeah. of the, um, well, that's why, I mean, that's a big part of it, too, is the randomness yeah. of it is the ultimate bad, the ultimate bad guy. It's just the fact that life is, like, cruel and will just get you every now and then, and there's no fucking reason for it, and it gets the good guys, it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Unrepentantly quiet and slow, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't know, I, I do think it's kind of recommended viewing, especially if you saw part of Buffy, like, it, um, watch the episode before this, and then watch how it just, like, slams into this dead mother on a couch thing. It's very mm-hmm. strange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the body. Uh, go go, Buffy. Hard Scooby gang, no matter what. Anyway, moving on to another incredible episode of television. The very same speaking week. Of, <sighs> speaking of dead moms. Speaking of dead moms. Oh, Proshai Levushka. The episode of Sopranos airs on the 4th of March, 2001. It is the final episode of uh, Nancy Marchand. Am I saying her name correctly? I don't right. remember. Yeah, she she passed away in between seasons. Oh yeah, the, calling this her final episode is being nice. Tony Soprano's mom. Mm, yeah, and they have to figure out uh, what to do. So I mean, they can kill her off on the show, sure, but there's still you know there's all kinds of things they were planning for her. And mm-hmm. how do we close this out? And how do we make this work thematically? So um, 
Did you take some outtakes and build a CGI Nancy Marchand for a scene? Oh, just I, kind I, of just, I wish to they took. Some, I wish they took some outtakes because some of this is just like I've watched every episode before this like four times. These are just these are the lines from the episode. Oh. Like 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 three of them in a row. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's mm. it's it's so bad. Not only is this CG bad, apparently this like this two minutes cost them a quarter of a million dollars of two thousand one mm. money, and it looks terrible. It is a body double yeah. with L- Livia Soprano's face floating on top of it. She is saying lines she has previously said that make no sense with what Tony is asking her. <laughs> and this is him finding. It sounds like when people do like this trick answering machines. Where they're like, "Hello." Yes. When yes. Pe- when people, you know, like when people prank call someone with Hank Hill, what? Yeah. Who are you calling? What are you implying? Like that's not what I asked. That's just the- <laughs> that's the quip you had ready. Uh, but it's bad CG. Tony finds all the baby books for his children. She has never once put anything in. Supposed to fill these out. Twenty years, fat fucking nothing. Now look here. I don't like that kind of talk. Now, just stop it. It upsets me. Camilla's my attorney's books that her kids fill with memories. You can't write stuff down from your life for your grandkids? It's none of anybody's business. Hey, you're too busy feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Maybe that only makes mm-hmm. sense to me in audio form. But she said she said that exact line other, like, you can't fill out your baby books? It's nobody's business. What? what are you... <laughs> I was busy. <laughs> like, there's a way better responses to that that I think she'd said before. But it's I think it's a really shitty way they took her out. Because I think... I went back and watched part of the scene. Like she does call Tony a bad son, mm-hmm. which is important mm-hmm. for the character. But like you could have just not unlike Buffy started the episode. Your mom is dead. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to rebuild her from scratch. She didn't say anything that like changes the relationship that much. It's a very it's, yeah. It was already a complicated relationship. Well, and it's just one of those things too, where it's like. Uh... A distrust of the audience. Like, we yeah, which don't never know did. that this actress died and you're going to have to do something about it. Like, just, mm. just. We're the Sopranos. We, we show everybody dying show. on the Sopranos, except for the, <laughs> well, the last episode. But, I mean, we all know, like, it's, it's. I don't know. It's just weird. It just felt like a weird underestimating the audience to be able to handle something real life affecting the filming and it's like oh you're willing to do this but then you're also going to cut a season in half and put like a year between the two halves of the season like what is happening with the show i mean i love it it's one of the best shows ever a great description because if i describe the sopranos anyway it's like the most respect for the audience i'd ever seen a show give whereas Mm -hmm. this is the opposite like we get it livia's dead it's fine we don't need to see her face again to know that she's died she mm-hmm. was going to yeah. die in the next 10 years while the show's on anyway like we get it she was not sorry the actress was in terrible health and was begged to do the show anyway she was not going to get very far i i love carmela soprano Edie falco's oh my gosh and, and this is the greatest yeah. part of the episode where they have a this, funeral for her well the whole wake mm-hmm. is just crazy because like Christopher is like totally fucked up and is trying to give a toast ugh, and he can't. And ugh, if you have like a big family where people are indulging, everyone's been to a funeral where like someone's like, nah, yeah, I don't want to get toast. And like, uh, and they've ex- like, explored ugh. how fun it is. To- one of Tony's best friends is Artie. Who's not in the, in the family. If you get mm-hmm. what I mean, he, uh, he cooks. He's a he's a chef. He owns a restaurant. And he's catering it. But he he's one of the only people who would have a kind thing to say. But recently had to learn their place. Like, no, you work for your best friend now. And- well, I'm sorry. Just back to Christopher real yeah. quick, though. Like, 
because he's so fucked up and he can't give a coherent toast like he wants to or mm-hmm. speech, that is a moment of levity in a depressing episode. I have never, <laughs> I have never seen anything like this at a funeral. My my Italian Ooh. side of the family were terrified of the terror that was my grandmother. Never stood up to her ever, mm. and she wasn't as bad as Livia at all. But like, said some really awful things, and that's like, can I just? I would rather die than go in the other room and talk to her about so why don't why don't you do uh, and you're well, seven I think that's, and <laughs> that's like my my favorite thing about this is like Livia's a very tough woman mm-hmm. who was impossible to please and never had a nice thing to say for anyone yes she's a horrible person to be around but it's so rude to speak ill of the dead so everyone's just like uh she's in a better place uh (laughs) one of my favorite characters though is janice tony's sister livia's fucking janice she's the best and she forces everyone to talk about her i just had to i think this this is where edie falco should have been nominated for an emmy because like this is a great performance she's not screaming or going over Mm -hmm. the top she's just being Mm -hmm. brutally honest and i i don't know i had to play it i'm sitting here thinking i should protect my children from the truth about their grandmother on the one hand and the other i'm saying to myself what kind of example am I setting? Evading and smiling, passing out cheese puffs over a woman that we all know was terribly dysfunctional, who spread no cheer at all. Camilla, be quiet. This is my house. I'm leaving. Let her talk, goddammit. Get down! No, I'll speak if I want. Goddammit, who are you? Minister of Propaganda? We suffered for years under the yoke of that woman. Years! She estranged us from our own daughter. Ruined. I don't know how many goddamn Christmases I don't want to even begin to count. No, don't hand me that! Bullshit! You wanted it, you got it. Here, here. (laughs) From beyond the grave. This is a woman who didn't want a funeral. You all, her children, you ignored her wishes. Only after she's dead, by the way. (laughs) I I could watch this clip forever. Because the guy who says, here, here is the guy we never, the husband of the youngest daughter of Livia. And so, like, that's all we know about it is, like, yeah, I hated her. Yeah. <laughs> I hated Livia, too. That's <laughs> his only line. I do not subscribe to the we don't speak ill of the dead. Yeah. They're dead. Why do they care? Yeah. Sorry, people. Mm-mm. Sorry, your precious nope. Rush Limbaugh's not getting that. But uh, he did, I think somebody had a headline, he spent a third of his career talking shit about the dead. So <laughs> I think he can take it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the Sopranos... Please watch The Sopranos. Please listen to Diane and I on an upcoming episode of Talking Terrific Television. We talk about Pine Baron. Um, yeah. yeah. Coming up on this show as well. Mm-hmm. And then lastly but not leastly uh, on the first is Gilmore Girls. Christopher Returns. Um, yes. Another good Christopher episode. This is actually when we meet Rory's dad, who is this handsome, hotshot guy. Basically, the story is that uh, Lorelai and Christopher were in school together and were boyfriend and girlfriend, and she got pregnant by him at 16 and kind of derails both of their richy rich lives and plans. You know, they're supposed to go to Ivy Leagues and, and whatnot, and he's just not really involved in their lives, but he comes in and out. So the whole episode is him kind of seeing their lives in Stars Hollow. And it's interesting because, you know, we don't really know anything about him until this episode. And it's like, and there's definitely chemistry between him and Lorelai, which is very interesting to watch. And he's going to come back time and again throughout the series. But what's really interesting, and I pulled a clip from, is the the Friday night dinner that they go to with Lorelai's parents, Emily and Richard, who are just so brilliantly played by Kelly Bishop and Edward Herman. And they're doing like a big dinner with also Christopher and his parents. And there's a huge confrontation because they start rehashing 
old history of how their son's life was derailed. He couldn't go to Yale because he had knocked up their slutty daughter. And like, meanwhile, Rory's like sitting right there. She's like, I'm 16 and these are my grandparents and they're screaming about me. And so <laughs> Edward Herman, uh, Richard, Lorelai's dad defends her, mm-hmm. which is like something that we don't really see because we kind of, they have a very difficult relationship. And after it's all over, Lorelai goes to talk to him in his office and it's like, thank you for defending me. And he just gives this speech and it's so beautiful. Edward Herman is just such a fantastic actor. Like we just lost Mm -hmm. him when we, when he died, it was just so sad because he played this character so perfectly of a dad who like was brought up a certain way and is, and, and loves his daughter and loves his granddaughter, but also can't let go of these like richy rich traditions and, and aspirations of Yale and you know, what, these blue bloods need to look like what their lives need to look like. Okay, well, it doesn't really matter why you did it. Yes, it does matter why I did it. It matters greatly. Lorelai, what are you going to take away from this? That everything that happened in the past is suddenly fine because I defended you? No. That the hell that you put your mother and me through for the past 16 years is suddenly washed away? Well, it's not. We've all been through hell, Dad. I had to tell my friends, my colleague, that my only daughter, the brightest in her class, was pregnant and was leaving school. That must have been devastating. And then you run away and you treat us as lepers. Your mother couldn't get out of bed for a month. Did you know that? Did you? No. We did nothing to deserve that. Nothing to earn that. I get it. I'm horrible. So why don't you disown me and adopt Christopher? You love him. Don't be a martyr, Lorelei. Don't be naive. Do you think I love the boy who got my daughter pregnant? I wanted to kill him. I would have, too, with my bare hands. But there was a proper procedure to be followed in a situation like this. Marriage. Christopher was willing to follow the procedure we laid out. You weren't. What about what I wanted? Dad, didn't that matter to you at all? Sometimes one has to sacrifice something in order to do what is right. I feel indescribably sad for you right now, Dad. <laughs> I'll save your emotions, Lorelai. I've had my fill of them tonight. Ooh. Just so, like, it kind of makes me a little emotional just because this is the first time we really see the the feeling from the parents, too, and what they went through with their relationship. And we see how complicated it is. Right. And, God, it's just so... I love Edward Herman so much. I'm so sad he's gone. He's just such a great actor. I think that guy's come a long way from being Richie Rich's dad, which is how I, I always, always, <laughs> okay. So I'm not, okay, that is him. That, that yes, okay. Yes. He's not wearing the glasses. It's, I got it. It's always Lorelai's dad, and then I'm like, and also Richie Rich's dad too. <laughs> that dude had a McDonald's <laughs> is, in his house. I mean, he's so waspy. Like, of course, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Remind me to catch up on more Gilmore Girls. Uh, I could do that while playing some of the games from 20 years ago, 2001 because they're all pretty notable. The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. Two Game Boy Color games come out. Uh, one focus more on action, one focus more on puzzles. And not unlike what had been done with Pokemon, you could do different things in them and make them talk to one another and share passwords and information. To beat to beat Oracle the Oracle series 100%, you had to play both games, which means I didn't play either because I didn't have a Game Boy Color. Uh, the Bouncer ah. is out this week, a Square Enix game, and incredibly notable, probably not anymore, but Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Oh, boy. I, yeah, Diane even knows why this is notorious. I know this one. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've been shown many segments of this, and I now immediately want to change our outro song. 
Oh, it's a great and mighty something. poo. Yeah, great and mighty poo. Great and mighty but, poo. But but the beginning that's what the D Day landing from <laughs> Saving Private Ryan with all adorable little animals yeah. getting horribly killed. That's adorable for you because that is the Xbox oh remake from several years later. Oh, oh, I see. But this is. At this point, it's a rare game made for Nintendo. Nintendo, at this point, is notorious for Nintendo doesn't have any mature first-party games. It's all Mario, Zelda, Pokemon, fun for the whole family. And yeah. they owned Rare, and they had made, made Donkey Kong Country, and they said they're going to make this character conquer into a thing, and it was he was family-friendly. He is in Diddy Kong Racing as a friendly character. He has a Game Boy game where it's G-rated, and he's a friendly character. And they just decide in the middle of this, fuck it, we're going to make the first first-party M-rated N64 game with this character we've already introduced as squeaky clean, and it just begins with drinking, puking, fucking, and literal shit with teeth made of corn singing at you. It is outrageous it's still kind of outrageous because like it is to me it is the bob saget of video games a a a, a team that was forced to work g-rated forever and then now when i see it on stage cursing like dude tone it back we've all been able to do this for years calm down this is not that big a deal but it is farty cursy drinky edgy it is bizarre to the point where like i think most kids would have not have fun playing it i remember i was a you know being a punk rock kid going to punk rock shows, they decided to advertise locally with urinal cakes at uh, fucking rock clubs so you'd piss on the game's <laughs> logo. We'll talk about that more on patreon.com slash laser time because I know Matt and uh, uh, Michael have so many memories of Conker's bad fur day. You will believe bones can fart. Um, but let's close out of 2001 with Flavor of the Week by American Hi-Fi because when we get back, baby, it's time to close out with 2011. Stay right there. Boyfriend, he don't know anything would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the laser time crew then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time it supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. This is one of those things that feels good, because this is one of those shows I feel like we haven't done in a while. We're just going to talk about one thing, and it's not related to something terrible happening in the world. We're talking cynicism, so it's a perfect segue into what the real topic of today's show is. I thank you for doing doing this because I we missed it on thirty twenty ten, but you reminded me not only of a milestone, but you did it with a awful awful promotional video that shouldn't be legal at all. It uh, is it's like so <laughs> how did this air on primetime over the air? This giant advertisement with uh, celebrities: Richard Kind, Barry Bostwick, Colin Mockery, and Brad Sherwood. Talking about the opening of a Disney park. Well, you've got quite a little park here. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is hardly a little park, Mr. Boswick. Disney's California Adventure covers 55 acres and has 22 rides, shows, and attractions. Each one is different. In fact, it's the same size and has an equal amount of attractions as did Disneyland when it opened in 1955. Only different. That is one hell of a qualifier. <laughs> it has as many attractions as this park did 50 years ago. 
Right. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. They they clearly knew what the press was about about that. Part. It's. I, I think. It, to... I think it's still California Adventure to its credit and lack of ambition. It did open. It is theme park to open with the most working attractions. Even though some of those attractions were like required no robotics and like just hire someone to look like a farmer. They were, they it, were very inexpensive. <laughs> and I want to talk to you about that because yeah. were you working there when this this came about? No, I. I was just done real quick though uh, what you guys didn't hear in that clip you can't hear the number of hawaiian shirts visible in, the, in that video <laughs> john lasseter shows wearing, up too to put everyone to shame everyone's wearing hawaiian you shirt, think but, your um, shirt is hawaiian get bonus time a weekly uncensored and commercial free podcast every tuesday starting for just five dollars on patreon.com slash laser time Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We look even further back in time to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of February 26th, I got a recommendation from 60 years ago. I don't know about you guys, I'm fans of Motley Crew of guys go on a mission, especially if that mission is to, like, shoot a bunch of Nazis. So there are three main movies of this type that I can think of, like, these are the best ones. Like, there's The Dirty Dozen, which is kind of the gritty one, Kelly's Heroes, which is kind of the funny one, and then you've got just Here's the straight, we're going to have a bunch of heroism with a bunch of heroic dudes version that it's like, this is about as good as this kind of story gets. And that is The Guns of Navarone from 1961, starring Gregory Peck, David Niven, Anthony Quinn, Stanley Baker, Anthony Quayle, Irene Pappas. Uh, yeah, we got a group. We're getting together. We got to go blow up a German gun emplacement in Greece. They filmed in Rhodes, so it's actually like really pretty a lot of it and there's you know action and a motley crew and going to blow stuff up and you know helpful locals and you know, you know what do you want i mean i don't know what else i can say about it guns and navarone is probably your grandpa's favorite movie and it's 60 years old this week that's it for this week stay classic Coming in in 2011 with Born This Way by Lady Gaga. It is number one, and I, for some reason, did not see this coming. I know we had our Lady Gaga song already, but I'm not ready for this song to feel 10 years old. Oh, same. Yeah, it feels very, very But it's so good. It's so good. This was, like, I didn't even have a car, but we were renting and borrowing cars and always looking forward to hearing Lady Gaga on the radio. That's, that that is, (laughs) that feels, that is so long ago now. Wow. 2011, everyone. February 26th through March 4th. Uh, we have some other new notable music releases, including Different Gear, Still Speeding by BDI, Going Out in Style by Dropkick Murphys, uh, Lucky Street by Go Radio, Goodbye Lullaby by Avril Lavigne, Build a Rocket Boys by Elbow, and Last Night on Earth by Noah and the Whale. Look, I'm sorry, I love Born This Way, but I liked it better when it was called Express Yourself. Express Yourself! Uh, I'm kidding, I like both of them, but holy shit is this close to being Express Yourself I by mean, Madonna. Come on. Agree, agree. Well, well, this one may have been a little more political. Hell yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. be a drag, be a queen. Yeah, that's right. Movies of 2011. Jumping you straight in. Uh, Happy, thank you, more please. That is a one-word title for a movie starring Tony Hale, Pablo Schreiber, Zoe Kazan, 
Uh, Kate Mara, Malene Ackerman, and Josh Randor. Radner. Radner, I said it. Yes. Yeah. There. Yeah, from uh, How I Met Your Mother, which I, I believe I he also wrote and directed this in between seasons. Wow. All right. Which, you know, good good for him. You know, it's uh, young couples and their, their lives, their loves, their problems. Uh, most critics said it was kind of boring, but said Melon Ackerman was pretty good. I like her. like Zoe Stan, too. So. Once again, while yeah. How I Met Your Mother was on, I met Jason Siegel in our local San Francisco coffee shop, a, a hidden one, and he was writing something. And to this day, it bugs me because I didn't bother him. Where is that thing? It, it's post Muppets. God damn it. What is, mm. what is Jason Siegel out there writing? Uh, also out this week, um, look at this. Look at this cast. It's the look 200 Cigarettes of 2011. <laughs> Take Me Home Tonight, starring Dimitri Martin, Heidi Montag. Uh, Adrena Partridge, Laura Conrad, Michael Ian Black, Lucy Punch, Robert Hoffman, Chris Pratt, Michelle Tratzenberg, RIP to her mother in the previous segment, uh, Dan Fogler, uh, Teresa Palmer, Anna Ferris, and Topher Grace. Take me home tonight. Dang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, a big cast like that, we probably have a rambling running around at night having different episodes kind of movie. And yep, that that's what it is. It's sort of... It's sort of a John Hughes homage about, like, the pretty girl, and she's going to be at the big party, and then all kinds of things get in the way of the big party. And, like, dude, I could just watch Super Bad again. You have to offer me something better. <laughs> I was just going to say, I really like Lucy Punch. Mm-hmm. She should be in more things. Okay. Great name. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a cool name. Also notable, but we don't have a trailer for it, Neil Patrick Harris, Lisa Gay Hamilton. Hey, Hamilton sounds like a negative review of the play on Yelp. Uh, Peter Krauss, Mary Kate, Ol- Mary Kate Olsen, uh, Ale- mm-hmm. <laughs> Alex uh, Pettifer, and Vanessa Hudgens, and Beastly. Beastly. Yeah, Mary Kate Olsen is a witch. Yeah, love it. Which, like, yes, can I? I just, just I want that herself. Yeah, just fuck it. I just want that movie. That mm-hmm. sounds awesome. Do you guys? See uh, the- yeah, we got a, a teen romance version of Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Yuck! I, I just knew yeah. it from the title. Yeah, but he's not furry. He's like really scarred and lumpy and has tattoos and fucked up he's, shit on his face. He's homeless. <laughs> that's that's yeah, 2011's uh, version of the beast. He can't get good skincare. <laughs> oh my God. How could I ever love him? Um, yeah. The- it's like, dude, we've been here before. Do you have anything new to offer? And it turns out, no, no, no. Every review is like, no, no, look, they're trying to be twilight. Everyone's trying to be twilight. Oh, that's true. Man, this, and so, so when we say this, this will put you, in a time and place, the next movie we are barely going to talk about. I only remember because we had the opportunity at a video game website to interview the Rift Tracks guys. And thankfully, my boss was a fan and he knew I was a massive fan. I was like, so you want to do it? And like, fuck, yes. Like, I will devote all of my week to interviewing the Rift Tracks. It's all separately for like half an hour. And Ooh. I talked to Kevin Murphy, one of my favorite people ever, Tom Servo, Bobo from Mystery Science Theater 3000, about what movies are good to riff. And we both agreed, like, let's, what's a modern movie you can think of that you'd really want to do? And I suggested The Adjustment Bureau. And he's like, yes, yes. There's there's no way we wouldn't have a great time with The Adjustment Bureau. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> and it, the movie's not totally terrible. Terrence Stamp, uh, John Slatery, Anthony Mackie, Emily Blunt, and Matt Dimon, Adjustment Bureau. David Norris is about to see something. Hey, Janet. No one is supposed to see. Hey, what are you doing? Grab him. This spring. What is going on? We're being chased. Once you know their secret. 
the people who control your destiny. You become their target. You can't outrun your fate. I don't care what you put in my way, I'm not giving up. We tried to reason with you. The Adjustment Bureau, rated PG-13. Mm, okay, so who who saw this? I, I don't think I, I saw, saw the whole it. thing. What's up? Okay, so we, we saw this. So I, yeah, I just watched this and I was shocked at first of all there's a bunch of fat on it which was weird but Mm -hmm. second of all (laughs) they explain their mystery like 15 minutes in (laughs) this makes it look like oh my god these like scary secret government guys are going to be chasing him the whole movie right and then they just sort of resolve like who these guys are and what they want like right at the top and then it's like well now I'm not exactly threatened because mm-hmm. I know your deal. And I'm really surprised that like Matt Damon gets it on the first guess too. He really, he skips over like there's these nefarious guys. He sees them like everyone at his office is frozen and they're doing something to the brain of his friend. And he like runs away and they always know where he's going to go and they can teleport and get to him and all that. And finally, like Anthony Mackie is one of the bad guys, but is like, look, I'll answer your questions. Like his first question isn't, are, are you a government agency? Are you aliens? This first is, are you like an angel or something? And he's yes. kind of right. So <laughs> I'm just spoiling this movie because it was so weird. Yeah. it it. So I saw it when it came out. And I remember it being an interesting concept. Kind of felt like a Twilight Zone episode, honestly. Yeah. yeah um, well, it's very lightly adapted from a Philip K. Dick short story. I was going to say, feels like a short story also. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like boring. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it's, it's, and it shouldn't it, be. It goes back and forth from like, huh, that's interesting, to extremely silly, to a lot of it just being like, where, where are you going with this? I'm yeah. not, nothing's happening. Now. Where are you going with this? It, yeah. It's it's in this this weird doldrum period for Philip K. Dick adaptations. They're like all when when I Robot and Minority Report stick out as the best. You know, you have a problem adapting one of the greatest mm. sci-fi actor uh, writers of all time. Ugh. Yeah. So, I mean, some of it was fun because it's somewhere between The Matrix and A Life Less Ordinary. Like, I was thinking about A Life Less Ordinary a lot because that's also about angels trying to put people mm-hmm. on the planned track for them. But in this case, the planned track is to keep these two people apart no matter what. And they keep saying, why are you trying to keep us apart? I love Emily Blood so much. She dances. She's so pretty. She's fun. And they're like, because that's the plan. The plan is for you not to be together. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, give me a good reason. No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to try to get to her anyway. And so some of the fun part is them constantly inconveniencing Matt Damon (laughs) of just like, well, now you can't get a cab and all you got nothing but red lights and she's going to be mad at you. And we stole her cell phone. Uh (laughs) It's like, okay, that's kind of the idea of just annoyingly inconveniencing people to make them stay on their plan. Mm -hmm. Uh The weather is now overcast. (laughs) I mean, it's a good thing that uh, Matt Damon has like a high level of executive function and not even the slightest bit of depression because I'd be like, oh, fine. Well, I guess I won't (laughs) be with that person. (laughs) This this would be what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Too much hassle. Oh, and they they like they allude to things like arguments that could be interesting. Like I'm just spoiling the whole movie because I don't think anyone should bother watching it because it was no. so goofy. <laughs> but that he's a politician, and they're basically saying, "Look, you can be president one day and do a lot of good for people, but if you're with Emily Blunt, you'll be too happy, so you won't have any ambition anymore." And it's like, well, that's a weird kind of trolley problem. Yeah. Like, what if you told me I could have peace in the Middle East if I never see my husband again? Thanks, mm-hmm. Dad. Uh, <laughs> huh that's a tough call i yeah how do you weigh those lives that's 
all right. No, that, that just, whew, they just fly right over all like real yeah. interesting questions just to have like chasing so, and so running. This is the only plan you can see then. I'm the only good president in the entire world. <laughs> really? And I have to be miserable. To yeah, I got to be miserable. I right. can't be in love. All right, I see. Isn't it already pretty miserable being president? We, therapists tell yeah. comedians not to think like that. I can't imagine someone saying that to the pres- the potential president. Don't yeah. be happy. We already well, had we've one already of those. Had, we just had a very unhappy president. Look how great that turned out. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, this is... Uh, it. A lot of times I was just sort of like... I'm waiting for it to like really get good. Like all the pieces are there Mm -hmm. and it just ends up being very watchable, but deeply silly. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also felt like I remember watching it like, Oh, they really wanted it to look like a thing, like a certain way, you know, like they're dressing John Slattery up in his Mad Men outfits. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all grays and slate blues and like the dance company, the dance um, studio that Emily Blunt is in. And they definitely, there's some style there, but, like, no substance. No. Mm. Yeah, not great. Now, next, what the movie I really want to talk about, looking over, like, 2011 has been kind of meh so far. We haven't had any, like, really stand out. Mm-hmm. And then here we go, the beginning of March, end of February, and I think this is my favorite movie of the year. What? Uh, when I talked about my biggest surprise earlier, I agree with you. Me too. Yeah. I, I, I was not expecting anything. I, I have had, uh, I saw it. When it came out, I'm like, that was way better than I expected. And then I saw it again. I'm like, I didn't feel anything. And I watched it this time. I'm like, this is so different and fun. And Tim of the Olyphant, Ray Winstone, Harry Dean Stanton, Bill, Bill Nye, uh, Alfred Molina, Abigail Breslin, Isla Fisher. And I think the great cast is part of that. And jo- oh Johnny God. Depp. Yeah. And, and <laughs> a spoiler for my notes. I think this is his best performance I've ever seen. Uh, oh. Yes. Yeah, he's not... Yeah. In in the number one at the box office, baby, we're talking about Rango. Tis I, the much-anticipated hero. Rangos always talk the talk. <laughs> but on March 4th... Ow. You're funny looking. I to blend in. You'll have to walk the walk. Name's Rango. Matt time we had a hero around here. Uh, that's gonna heal right up. Johnny Depp is... As long as that sign says sure, we got hope. I stand corrected. Rango, this film is not getting ready. I think you, you told me about this back in the day, Diana. The, the And this, yeah. this is the only movie I believe Johnny Depp was in that won a Best Picture at the Oscars for animation. There's no Pixar this yep. year. And <laughs> yep. And it's only one of, I think, three in 20 years of a Best Animation feature Oscar that's not... DreamWorks or Disney Pixar. Yeah, and it uh, it is so that's very a Nickelodeon rare. movie, and it's one of I think three Nickelodeon movies that uh, that are animated, and not based on one of their television shows. It, mm. uh, they had done that very rarely. Wonder Park, if you can recall. By that uh-huh. I mean if you have children from a year or two ago. But but Rango, this is utterly charming, and the look of it is the thing I am obsessed with. It goes out of its way to not look like a Disney Pixar movie. Most of its most of its visual effort seems to make things dry and ugly and weird looking. And yeah. in, in the way that Tim Burton used to do. And this is a Gore Verbinski like try, he, he's saying he wanted to make a less complicated movie after the Pirates trilogy. <laughs> and <laughs> and, yeah, and ends up like, oh animation is really hard. <laughs> yeah, computer animation is really hard. Well that's that's one of the things that I love about this is they bring on the best of the best 
getting together for this project. First of all, it's industrial light and magic. Yeah. I mean, the effects guys for the last 30, well, fucking 40 years. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we, we could just make a movie that's all effects. Mm -hmm. That's just an animated, computer animated film that it, looks gorgeous. It holds up incredibly well uh, in 20, 2021. It really does. Like more so than a lot of Pixar stuff from 10 years ago. It looks yeah. very good. And the but it action, has very, the action, like is realistic textures to mm -hmm. everything. Like that's the thing. I just keep thinking: Is this really for kids? Yeah. <laughs> because I don't think it so. It does have a distinct ugliness to it. Like it really does look like a dirty, dusty town full of weirdos with bad teeth. Mm -hmm. Everyone has uh, bad skin. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I counted with another thing I had written down that I liked about it, and um. Three like so it, it reminds me a lot of a Coen Brothers movie. I'm like, why is that? And like, because they ah. used the Raising Arizona. Ode to, is it Ode to Joy? Is that the? That it's song? very similar to the Raising Arizona Yodel Chase. No, yeah. it is the Raising. They had no. It's really close. It's a sound alike, but it's it's not exact. And they have uh, they have Cool Blue Water, which is in Buster Scruggs. There's a giant musical True. sequence to that, and they cast Stephen Rootwell, which is something usually only the Coen yeah. Brothers do, and. Uh, this is not for kids at all. And I was reading about it and like uh, the plot is very similar to, I don't want to lead with three amigos, but seven samurai. Uh, 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 but we need the hero to save our town, but we're sort of unaware of who this person is. But more than that, what I just watched and watched again recently, I watched recently for the show and recently for myself, Back to the Future 3. And that's about mm -hmm. that's about a, a modern person trying to fit in a Western setting, whereas Johnny Depp is just a domesticated lizard who falls into a rustic town of weird creatures, of uh, real animals who have been yeah. living humanless for a long time. And it's him trying to pretend he's Clint Eastwood when he's a you can see in the poster, he's a, a Hawaiian shirt wearing domestic, very, a very afraid character. And also, you never see Johnny Depp just playing a version of himself. He never does that. It's always somebody yeah. annoying in, <laughs> in an impression of something. And this is like, he's fucking great in this. Yeah. No, that's, I hadn't thought about it, but I think about what he was up to at the time. It's like, yeah, this is a performance from at least. 10, 15 years yeah. earlier. This is the Johnny Depp that I that I love because mm -hmm. he did weird stuff. I mean, they they throw in a fear and loathing reference yeah. for crying. He out voices loud. he voices himself in fear and loathing in a throwaway reference. Again, kids will never understand and shouldn't understand. Oh, there's so much kids are are not gonna get. I mean, besides that, the plot is Chinatown. Yeah, it's literally the evil plot of Chinatown. They're not going to understand when he finally meets the spirit of the West, who is Clint Eastwood in a golf cart full of Oscars. <laughs> um, that's a thing that happens in this. Uh, they're definitely not going to get how many classic Western references there are in this. I mean, I just kept spotting them like, okay, that's High Noon. Okay, that's Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Mm -hmm. That one might be real Bravo. And is that that might be Duel in the Sun that they're going for. Yeah. Oh, my God. They, Bill Nighy as Rattlesnake Jake, who's a big bad that shows up at the end, they made a snake look like Lee Van Cleef. How did they do that? Yeah. It... And, like, is this just for me? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's it. There's so many things in here that appeal to me. And just, like, 
clearly going out of its way to like, let's make this as un-Disney DreamWorks as possible. This doesn't, you would never mistake this for a Disney or DreamWorks movie. It, it's, no. it's wonderful. Oh, and uh, um, we were talking about the wonder that is Bob's Burgers, which is still making me laugh on a daily basis. Really great Valentine's Day episode. Um, they yeah. They went out of their way to like record together. And sort of improvise. And like when you see an animated movie, things aren't very funny because they're delivered very theatrical and like uh, like clearly not in the same room. Gore Verbinski's like, no, everyone's going to be brought in with Johnny Depp to record these. So they you can hear people playing off one another and the performances are really subtle and funnier in different ways than any animated movie I've seen before or since. Hmm. It, it, yeah. It's really good. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. It, yeah. I just, I, oh my gosh, like everything about the score by Hans Zimmer, they brought in Sir Roger Deakins, get to call him that now, uh, as a cinematography consultant, because like, yeah, it looks <laughs> amazing. But I just, it's one of those things where it's like, I want there to be more back and forth between directors of live action and directors of animation, mm-hmm. because this is so fun, because Gore Verbinski can just take the camera wherever he wants because there is no actual camera. So there's like a chase scene where he's getting chased by an eagle and he like gets inside a Coke bottle and starts running Mm -hmm. like it's a a hamster wheel or something. And it's like the camera sort of goes in through the back and is now it's in the bottle and then it pulls back around the other side. It's like all this cool stuff is you can only do it in animation. I want to see more big directors try it. It's brilliant. Like, um, the, you shouldn't. I, I think I, I had like shrugged the, this off. I'm pretty sure. Did you like this immediately or see it in the theaters? I'm pretty. I did you, not. It was you or your husband but, who told me to watch this. Yeah. Uh, like well, because we ago. we watched it. I think when it came to DVD, mm-hmm. just because like eh, I sort of skipped it, busy, whatever. And then like reading the reviews of all these giant film nerds that I love, all saying like, "Oh my god, this movie!" And so Michael picked it up, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, I, I don't know." And then yeah, we watched Rango. I think on a plane, and just like every five minutes, I was practically slapping him, like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Yeah, oh, it, my God. He literally asked the bad guy, what's he doing this for? And he says, the future, Mr. Rango, the future. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, ah, oh, freaking Ned Beatty again. God damn it. I, 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 Children I, must be so afraid of that voice now <laughs> between this and Toy Story 3. I, I, I just watched Departed, so seeing Ray Winstone as, as the original big bad, like, this is wonderful. Oh my God. None of these people would be, like, I think, carry a live action movie, but it's great voice acting. Oh, he's got a great voice. And that's, I mean, we're missing that this movie's also funny as hell. Yeah. The scene yeah. where, yeah, he defeats Ray Winstone as this big, like, Gila monster because, like, he accidentally burps, like, liquor in his face and it catches on fire. And then he's like, oh, gosh, I got to get that out. And it's like, pours more liquor on his face. So it just blows up even more. <laughs> There's a lot it's of just stuff such that's a like, funny gag. not appropriate for kids. And there was a campaign because, like, this might be one of the last cartoons you see anyone smoking in. There's a lot of smoking oh, in it. Yeah. And there was it's a compa- West, campaign to get it rated R. And I think Disney <laughs> Disney uh, silently capitulated and like won't have any character smoking anymore. And even decree that Jabba the Hutt can't smoke anywhere in oh. merchandise, comics. Yeah. Nobody smokes anymore in Disney stuff. So it feels incredibly distinctive as an animated film. I think the same way like Nightmare Before Christmas did uh, a couple mm. of years ago. A couple, twenty years ago, but if you skipped Rango, it is my pick of the week, like by a long shot. It is very, very good. Yeah, and even if you're not like a total dork like me, who's like pointing out all these references or influences or homages or whatever, even if you don't like westerns, mm-hmm. it's still really funny. Yeah. So you're you're, and it you're looks the character really stuck in and a the western. Characters, 
are fun. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. Alfred Molina is an armadillo that got run over. But he's very wise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Abigail Breslin and I- Isla Fisher, like even that, like they're unrecognizable. And yep. and I, I, I thought everything was really well cast. It is not a DreamWorks movie where they just pick the biggest stars. And Johnny Depp is utterly charming as Rango. Like, I've never liked him more uh, in yeah. anything. Well, damn, y'all. I guess I got to watch this. You should. I guess you got to. I think I it's on Netflix no right idea. now. Rango, it is, it is crazy. It feels like a very weird, independent, $100 million <laughs> animated film. <laughs> Like nobody would make this huh. at all. Like it's it's very strange, uh, and it deserves to be remembered. So I'm 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 here to carry the cape for Rango, man. I fucking love this movie. Oh, a, a thousand percent. Yep, it's on uh, Netflix right now. Go yeah, watch it's, it. It's it miraculous. Is, yeah, before it, it is fun. Before it disappears into the mountain of Paramount Plus, um, go check it out oh, on Netflix. Okay, right. Because <laughs> it is a Nickelodeon movie from Paramount. Uh, moving on into television. Oh, my goodness. How do I celebrate the thing I hate so much? Uh, Jay Jay Leno celebrates his 4,000th Tonight Show episode. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Mm. Uh, Could have been Dorito commercials forever instead of making fun of people in the streets and making a lot of blowjob jokes. I mean, I I still have not seen the Britney Spears documentary, but Jay Leno has to be a villain in that, right? Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) um, Oh, he totally is, yeah. Yeah, a guy who did... Who, uh, whatever, I'm not, I'm not, whatever, I'm, let's not rehash, I'm yeah. like getting angry all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I am happy because like I, we haven't even talked about Laser Time's Oscar show yet, which we've done annually for almost a decade, but I did look it up and I, it's like, I, I was bothered because like we'd have to do our like Laser Time's uh, weekly or year, annual uh, best movies, best television and had like two weeks to prepare our Oscar episode, but it's like, it's like. April, like they moved that shit back mm-hmm. to where it used to be, but we're here in late February where the Oscars are happening now. I don't know yep. what the Oscars are, are going to do this year. I cannot wait. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm pretty interested in the Golden Globes, which are coming up. So that might give us a little bit of a hint. I don't know. I watched, I watched the noms and uh, Diana, we did an mm-hmm. Oscar episode for this, this these yeah. Oscars. Have we done this for 10 I'm- years? I believe this is the first time we did. I think this is 10 Maybe years. Maybe not the yeah. sketches, but we did. Diana has joined us to talk about the Oscars every year for 10 years. Oh, yep. And I know that's because this this week on the Oscars 10 years ago, the King's speech sweeps a lot of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, yep. was, and it is hosted, unfortunately, by James Franco and Anne Hathaway, which I was very uh, hopeful about. <laughs> and they just brought zero energy. <laughs> Oh, one of them brought zero energy. <laughs> one of them brought a lot of energy. Yeah. I mean, I just like this just rankles me because <laughs> this is like the beginning of the Anne Hathaway hate train, I feel mm. like. And yeah. she is annoying but fine. Like, let's just get off her dick a little bit. And like <laughs> they everybody was so mean about this, and she was like Working so hard the whole time in a very sweaty way, which is not super likable. But then James Franco is just sitting there mugging the whole time. Like, <laughs> like he could just look, here's look, at, look I, around with his face. I, wa- I watch the enough. Oscars and then I watch the James Franco roast. His facial expressions are the same. Yeah. He, he's just sort of <laughs> laughing at what's happening instead of doing anything. And and I will say it's also like the least exciting Oscars in terms of awards, too. So yeah. Anne Hathaway's moments yeah. are like she sings, she dances. Like you cannot knock what she does here. 
And I'm also on a Nolan kick, so I've watched Dark Knight Returns and Interstellar, and, like, I have no complaints about Anne Hathaway. But, like, it's difficult to, like, the King's Speech is the best movie of all time! And everyone deserves to be nominated, win an award, and they Mm. did. It is the fucking Titanic uh, to a much lesser extent uh, 10 years later. But it does win director, picture, and best actor. And and I don't hate it. I'm fine with picture and actor. Director over Aronofsky for Black Swan, David O. Russell for uh, The Fida, David yes. Fincher for Social Network, and the Coen Brothers for True Grit. Yeah, I'm I, assuming I, that yeah. was a four-way split or something because no, it's no completely honey, no. cuckoo. And like, all right, yeah, it's not surprising that it won for Best Picture, but should it have won Best Picture? No. I don't hate well, it. No, I, probably I, Social Network, but hey, yeah. what do you? Or do? even. Well, I'm always going to root for Black Swan, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, I'm glad that Natalie Portman won because mm-hmm. bitch put the work in. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if we're just going to talk about that, like yeah. she wins just based on that so alone. It's important yeah. to mention, like, I, I don't know of a more difficult performance from a human yeah. being in a movie for the next like 10 years than what Natalie Portman I mean, did in Black Swan. And she she bled for it mm-hmm. in a way that we haven't really seen a lot of actors She ended up do, marrying her like. teacher. That's how much it fucking got to her. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Mm. I am I I like being reminded that Aaron Sorkin won his Oscar for adapting a book called The Accidental Billionaire, which is a great way to describe Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great title. Good for you, Ben Mesrich. Um but other than that, like in Toy Story 3 winning best animated film, which was like indisputable in a in, like against How to Train Your Dragon and the Illusionist, three movies that I thought Oof. were fucking excellent, but Toy Story 3 still like wow, like this movie I've never seen an animated movie about coping with death to this degree. It's, uh, it's my favorite Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toy Story 3 mm-hmm. to this day. And, yeah. Uh, the best than... documentary with Inside Job is Inside Job is really good. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and really is, recommend it. It's that. where Trent Reznor won his Oscar for the score yep. with Atticus mm-hmm. Ross in uh, The Social Network. Um, yeah. Which but... is good. The, they usually don't look at things that aren't like big bombastic scores. It's against mm-hmm. like the Inception of the King's Speech. Like, oh, those are memorable. But The Social Network is exactly what it needs to be for the movie. So. And today, thanks to our buddy Kevin Cole, I, I listened three times to their Watchmen Life on Mars orchestration, which like really makes mm-hmm. me fucking happy. It's one of the best episodes of anything on television in the last 10 years. Good Lord. A lot of nominations for King's Bone didn't get much, but like this... King's Bone? King's Bone? Sorry, sorry. The King's Speech and Winner's Bone. Um, The King's Bone? What would that movie be about? Um, King King Ralph. We talked about it last week. Um, Yeah, but I can't can't remember a a less interesting Oscars. Yeah, like this is this is so dull. The, the the show wasn't fun to watch and like there was nothing to root for. Also mm-hmm. too, yeah, I just remember <sighs> Melissa Leo winning for the fighter. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. really annoyed the crap out of me. She Guys, was just like, ah. I don't get the fighter at all. I, I I know you guys liked it. I don't get it. I like it. I don't it get was it. Fine. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to mm-hmm. me. Again, I'm on a Nolan kick. I saw The Prestige. I know what a Christian Bale great performance looks like. And it's, yeah. not, it's not in the fighter. Two of them, even. <laughs> no. Oh, boy. Since we're getting into that territory, um, let's close out with the games. Fight Night Champion, the fifth and last EA boxing game. Uh, it's, it's Swan oh. Song. Is, is, uh, but 
10 years ago, along with Pixel Junk Shooter 2 and the um, MMO Rift, which if you were at PAX for like, I think two years, they own the whole thing. It's 10 years old. And that is about it. I should say the show is executive produced by uh, people like Connor Ritter, who I think had a birthday. Happy birthday. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Um, Michael Raparez, Mr. Diana Goodman, and Maddie C. Allen. We do a big, giant look at the video games from this period every month. And we go very, very much in depth, occasionally with our buddy Chris Baker. So it's very, very fun to listen to. In addition to another, uh, a, a whole lot more exclusive uh, entertainment. Five bucks is all we ask. Die. where can people find you? Let's see. They can find me on the Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 002010podcast. And coming up next week, we've had gangster movies, but we have the first gangsta movie. Okay. Uh, Oh, Chris Rock. You come to a bad end, Chris Rock. Uh, I cannot believe the movie I saw in theaters instead of this, but it wasn't my choice. Also, if you like us, say nice things about us on the internet, specifically on iTunes. Mm-hmm. I saw some nice reviews. Thank you guys. Oh, appreciate yeah. it. Without Thank further you. ado, we got to tell you who died and lived during this period. Um, people who died during all this. It's a busy week. Uh, in 1991, we lost Sirs Gainsbourg, who was only 62, uh, actor and singer. Edwin Land, the inventor of Polaroid, who was 81, and Arthur Murray, who opened a giant chain of dance studios, mm-hmm. who's 95. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so many people, they learned a ballroom dance by yeah. taking classes at Arthur Murray. I know the yeah. logo. Wow. Yep. And then in 2011, we lost Jane Russell, who's 89. Oh, my God. Please watch Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. She is so fucking good in that. And she's up against Marilyn Monroe, and they are killing it together. Hmm. Uh, we also lost Frank Buckles, 110, who was the last U.S. World War One vet. I think the only one, the last one who saw combat. And then, Chris, your hero, astronomer James L. Elliott, who is 67, he discovered the rings around Uranus. Ah! <laughs> the funniest planet. The only way you can make it not funny is describe it with urine. Uranus. It's, 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 oh, oh, my God. It's so good. Uh, now that we know who died, you want to know who was born? I yes. Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo. A ding-dong doodly-doodly ding-dong-doo. Oh, Turning 40, looking mighty fine. Uh, Thank born, you. Oh. <laughs> born March 2nd, 1981 in Los Angeles. She is a third-generation actor. She studied at NYU but left in 1999 to pursue her career. And then last year went back and graduated with the class of 2020. Good for her. She went back and finished her degree 20 years later. <laughs> oh, I wish I would have done that. I had so much time. Uh... <laughs> We've talked about her in As You Like It, Loss of a Teardrop Diamond, Hereafter, and Terminator Salvation. Ugh! Terminator Salvation should have been a clue for me, but I hate that movie, uh, like, almost more than 9-11. All right. Well, would it help if I told you she's an extra in Parenthood, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and A Beautiful Mind? An extra? Mm-hmm. In all those? Yep. No. <laughs> well, been she's also years. in Twilight Eclipse, Spider-Man 3. Oh, uh, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. There you go. Ah. Also, Lady in the Water. Directed a couple of really good episodes of uh, Black Mirror as well. Yeah, and Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. She's directed a couple great episodes of The Mandalorian. I'm I'm looking forward to her directing more. I was I was hoping the extra would clue you in what do Parenthood, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Beautiful Mind have in common. That that is how I got there. I did. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Howard. So, happy 40th birthday. You're cool.
Yeah, I, I would rather much rather close with a Rango theme because uh, the Ra- Rango like blew me away. I, I and it blew me away ten years ago, and I f- saw it again, and I was like not entertained. And I saw it now, I w- I, I was floored once again. Rango yep. is delicious. Re- rewatched it just to mm. be like, it's been a while. Was I overestimating? And I'm like, nah, nah. I'm having so much fun with this. Mm-hmm. God damn it! All I right. feel like they made a movie for me. Yeah. Thanks, Corbett Bitsky. It's what it's what it looks like. It's hard to talk about competition in the animated world because they take so long to make. And this one, they tried not to have it take so long to make. They were wrong, but it's it has a completely different flavor. And animated films, I hear from people who don't like them, like Sarah's husband, who won't admit to it. <laughs> uh, they all taste the same, and they're not wrong because hmm. they tend to follow the same beats and they sound the, the exact same. Rango feels completely different. It's good. Yep. Fun, fun, fun. And with that out of the way, uh, check us out next week. Hey, give us a nice review on your iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. Maybe tell a friend about the show. Take us out, Los Lobos. Coming down the mountainside, the people hailed his name. And of his legend, they sang With iron in his heart, steel in his club. He pumped their heads off full of lead. Wrangle.